the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Tuesday, November 23rd, 2021, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. All the rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear that you need to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear for you law enforcement personnel. You want something custom? They'll melt up some plastic just for you. I like it. Use the code STEAK for 5% off your order. Don't get ready. Stay ready. In studio recording gear specializing in headphones. The top tier can be found at Odyssey and Odyssey.com. Whether you're gaming, recording beats, or podcasting like the three of us, Odyssey's got everything you need to uh, bless your ears with some audio greatness. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Firearms. Hunting season's upon us. In addition to the fact that you can never have enough ammo, Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has everything you need to uh, take care of those needs. He's got a newly redesigned website at westcoastsurvivalarms.com. You could reach him via Facebook Messenger or on the telephone at 619-870-6992. Busy time of the year for our first responders. Uh, it seems like things that come with the holidays always have them running around more than usual. And uh, the amount of hours that they put in during the holiday season is not mediocre, but they get a lot of gear from MediocreMedic.com. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Off-duty. While they're working, they got the vinyl stickers, they got the tactical patches to throw on their bags. MediocreMedic's got a pretty fire Instagram as well. Give them a follow at MediocreMedic.com. And last but not least... The Zero Fucks Duck, Mark Joe Friday, Dumpbox.us, the home of top-tier tactical gear greatness. You can find them on Facebook, you can find them on Instagram, and like I already mentioned, Dumpbox.us. Go in there and get yourself a nice little Zero Fucks Duck to throw on your stocking so Santa can see just how tactical you are this upcoming holiday season. Friends, don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Technically, it's shadow banned into oblivion. We get like two likes a year at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. At least if you go there, you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias. Twitter's pretty fire right now. Our website, our Telegram, and more. And on that note, welcome. Episode 84, Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast. I'm Roan. Noah's here today. Yo. We unmuted Antoinette. You. Hi, guys. Oh, hey. How's it going? Good, good. How are you? 
Gabby Fox is going to be joining us today as a guest host to do the news. But before that, we've got a couple special guests coming in. Joining us first today on this Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast. He was a deputy assistant to President Trump. He served as the chief of staff to the Secretary of Defense. He worked at the National Security Council as a senior director fighting counterterrorism. He was a top aide to Rep. Devin Nunez before that, as well as a federal prosecutor. He's the man behind Fight With Cash. And according to Amanda Milius, he's the Tom Cruise <laughs> of the Plot Against the President documentary. Mr. Cash Patel, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. I don't think I'm going to be able to ever live up to that introduction, but thanks for having me. And it's a good thing that Amanda, my payments to Amanda start finally started paying off. There you go. There you go. <laughs> she was awesome. And, and she, she uh, divulged her love for you in, in more no, ways than great. one last week. Yeah. She said you were amazing and uh, yeah. she, she had nothing but good things to say. Thanks for joining us today. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. This is, uh, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, the title of your podcast, probably one of the best ones I've ever heard. So Thank That's God. good. How did you come up with that? <laughs> we didn't. Yeah. Uh, one, one of our former hosts who babied it to us did it about two years ago, and, and we kind of ran with it, and we found out that, uh, lucky for us, it's an algorithm beater. So we could pretty much say whatever we want on our show about the news, and uh, we don't get our you know streams removed for any platform, so it's been lucky for us so far. Perfect. Knock, knock yeah. on wood. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. What have you been up to lately? Oof. Uh... Yeah, after 16 years in, left with my former boss, uh, President Trump, and then tried to figure out what I was supposed to do as an adult, uh, which has been a laborious process, um, trying to make money, starting companies, doing consulting work. That's all boring. My passion project is, as you mentioned, fightwithcash.com yes. with a K. And basically, long story short, I ran the Russiagate investigation. Amanda Milius did a brilliant job capturing it in the plot against the president. It's a must-see movie. Yes, I is. love the fact that I get to say every week that we are Jeff Bezos's number one documentary, and he <laughs> hates the fact that we have to put it up on Amazon Prime. Got but I love it. It's awesome. Nice. Um, but that work sort of led me and Devin Nunes, my former boss, to just get crushed in the media and defamed. And we were like, all right, enough's enough. Like, we took a lot. But now you're just outright lying. So I'm suing the New York Times political and CNN for defamation Ooh. for like $150 million. And when I went around the country with Devin on his freedom tour, mm -hmm. and Amanda's been with us on the freedom tour, too. Uh, everybody's like, hey, I've been defamed. I've been deplatformed by big tech or big media or Twitter or Facebook or the CNN or the Times. But they were like, we don't have the money. So long story short, I started fightwithcash.com. We're going around the country raising money. And basically, we are accepting uh, reviews of legal cases for any American for free. And if we think you have a veritable case, we will pair you up with an attorney and cut the check for that attorney so you can sue and have your day in court. Nice. And that's what we're doing. Yeah, I've been doing a little deep dive on, on looking over that website and stuff. And it seems like that's just an amazing thing for people who are going through some of that big tech censorship or just yeah. straight up deplatforming for no reason other than the opinion varies from what the legacy media wants to, uh, you know, push out to the American public for no reason whatsoever. So I definitely think that's awesome and uh, pretty revolutionary. And, in, in, you know, it's like you took some of Donald Trump's former tweets and turned them into something that actually is, uh, you know, putting big tech on their heels at, at the moment. Well, the deplatforming and fact checking, it's it's devolved into this. They literally just type in all caps like 
whatever you're saying is not <laughs> the truth. Right. Like, and then that's that's the entire fact check. You're like, okay, that's, fair that's enough. Ridiculous now. Yeah. It's, it's, crazy. it's a great fact check. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> uh, you you won. I guess. Sounds like we've all met Alan Duke before. Hmm. At least on Facebook and Instagram. Okay, so an outsider who kind of sees you and and saw your rise within the, the administration wouldn't be able to tell by any of like we've you know recently just touched on stuff that's in the legacy media. Um, it, there's a lot of Hill staffer to working consistently in the Oval Office narrative out there. That's not necessarily the case. Can you tell us like when you were coming up? You, you said you you worked in D.C. for you know 16 years. What were some of your passions and when you were in the government that you were like really focused in on? Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, as a former lawyer, I haven't practiced in a while, but I was actually started my career in Miami as a public defender. And I did that for a while. And that was awesome because I got to like travel around the world and represent some crazy people like the cartel out of Colombia and stuff. <laughs> and uh, it was just fun work. And you were like, oh, due process. It's an actual thing. Like, you know, liberals aren't the only ones who get to give it a bear hug, but, you know, it matters. And I was a conservative who was a public defender. And people were like, what are you doing? I was like, I didn't know you guys own the Constitution. But um, <laughs> that that sort of led me to become a terrorism prosecutor. That's what I made the switch. And I was a national security prosecutor in D.C. And both those were like amazing work for me as a trial lawyer, like putting away terrorists around the world, yeah. trying, you know, some pretty sensitive, high profile cases. And then, um, you know, the rest of it, it's, it's like best laid plans. Like I was never supposed to be in government. I went to law school to go be that guy in suits and make a bajillion <laughs> dollars and I failed. So uh, then, you know, after a million PBRs later, I ended up in on the kill and then Devin and Russiagate happened. And then I ended up in the White House. Like I'm telling you, like when you say best laid plans, like could not have planned any of that. I probably planned for the opposite. Nice. Wow. So I'm going to cross off my next question, which was, have you made a bajillion dollars? You said no. Mm. Um, no. Me either. Did you upgrade from PBR once you got to be someone that was working on Capitol Hill? So here's the thing. I'm a lifelong hockey guy. I've been playing hockey since I was six. Nice. I still play. I still coach. Played and I won't drink any other beer but PBR. Nice. There you go. That's good. To, it was. See, I grew up. I played hockey as well. I was a goalie. Yeah, it's, I was a good one. Well. Yeah, and uh, it was Natty Ice Light for us Ooh. in the Northeast. I drank some Natty Ice that somebody had shot like 50 bottle rockets out of. Didn't change the taste whatsoever. Probably didn't. Probably improved it. Yeah, it there actually, you go. It, yeah, it was, it was uh, earthier. <laughs> I'm Albanian. They, they, when I was little, they would drink Heineken back in the day or Moonshine. Well, there <laughs> you guys go. are talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Cash. Now, getting into working on Capitol Hill. We've, yeah. had, we've had some guests on this show, um, ones who cover it, like Raheem Kassam, and then ones who kind of have experienced it, like Dr. Navarro, and, and like we've already mentioned, Amanda Milius. There was a couple of things that you don't necessarily think would be going on when an administration comes in, namely the amount of pushback that you guys got in changing the culture. Dr. Navarro got into it last week, and his focus on that uh, was like with China. You know, everybody had always talked about standing up to China, changing things with China. But when the EOs came for the tariffs and mm. what would eventually be like the skinny deal, they saw so much dissension and, and pushback and trying to sabotage it. Specifying in what you worked in on, like, you know, intelligence, counterterrorism, uh, working with the Secretary of Defense and stuff like that. What kind of things did you see that kind of like were eye opening is like, you know, you're supposed to put politics aside when you're elected to office. And if you're selected by that administration, you would hope that at least you would just at least try to, like, work within the lines of the Constitution a little bit instead of personal interest. Number one, someone who works in the legal field, 
was it eye opening? And number two, what did you do to combat that? Well, yeah, that's a wow, that's a good question. Um, it was, you know, I worked for three different attorneys generals. I was in the Obama Justice Department, and eventually to Trump. I did my first civilian tour in the military under Obama. You know, like in the, like you said, the national security mission is just that. It's pretty apolitical. Like there's not much you know, left or right on that, on that barometer. But when Trump got elected or when he started running, everything went either to one end or the other. There was no middle anymore. It didn't matter what Trump did, even though basically he's a pretty moderate guy in terms of the political stuff. Yeah. And talk about a Republican who ran on ending the forever wars, which was a cause of the Democratic Party for the last 20 years. Yeah. But because he decided to end them, they hated him for it. And they politicized national security. So what I learned is that, unfortunately, the one area of the world that I thought was not subject to politics, national security, became overly subject to national security. And like, I'll give you a quick rundown, right? Like, look, I became the dream job that I wanted was to run counterterrorism at the White House. And I got to do that as deputy assistant president. Yep. So what were we charged with? Bringing home American hostages, um, killing al-Qaeda senior leadership, wiping out ISIS, um, securing the border, dominating the drug trade and, and, and curtailing it, and then also curtailing these wars. It's pretty simple. Like, who's going to disagree with too much of that, right? But then what I would learn is in these positions, they were like, oh, well, Trump's doing it. So we don't want to do that anymore. I'm like, what do you mean you don't want to do it anymore? You, you've wanted to do it for 10 years. And he actually succeeded. So not only do you want to champion to be his enemy, you want to somehow find a way to oppose it. And I thought that was like the most shocking thing in the national security arena. I was like, you're hurting Americans. Like this is kind of pissing me off. Yeah. Yeah. And you definitely took that fire to work every day. Well, it's like all the just petty, like I'm going to cancel everything like project talent. We keep bringing that one up. Like yep. I don't see any negative to having that thing going. No, no, but they want to operation sure. talent. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely no. wanted to get rid of that one on day one. Um, what were some of the real big events that you were a part of while you worked, uh, you know, in, in some of the jobs that you did over there uh, in, in counterintelligence? Yeah. So after I was, I thought I was staying in the White House, Rick Grinnell got made the director of national intelligence. Then the president asked me to be the deputy director of national intelligence. And then later on, I went back to the White House and I was like, good, I'm staying here. And then they sent me over to be chief of staff at DOD. So not complaining, but pretty awesome ride. And I think I got a pretty good um pretty good run there uh my my highlight i would say is being in the situation room as senior director for counterterrorism and killing baghdadi with the president yeah, like that bad. was pretty awesome um that's a good highlight but right? then at the same time we also brought home 54 american hostages more than any american president in u.s history combined so like having these guys on the tarmac come to the runway and like getting freed out of iran or some crazy crazy terrible place in whatever stand we would bring these people out that fail you know previous administrations had gotten them locked up and we got them to come home and it was pretty emotional stuff so wow. some of that stuff was probably my most memorable and then at dod yeah we wound down the wars i mean we actually yeah. did it successfully so i was pretty proud of that yeah that's definitely a couple uh benchmarks to say the least i think uh probably at the top of the list would have to be bringing those americans home and then, like I said, killing the heads of uh, international terrorist organizations and ending. Yeah, that war. was pretty cool. Yeah, probably some uh, must-see TV, to say the least. Oof, yeah, yeah. Uh, That Kill TV episode was really good. 
<laughs> I mean, if, I mean, if they released some of it, didn't they finally release some of the footage? Yeah, we saw some like aerials of like the dogs running around and stuff, but nothing, nothing juicy. Yeah. Pun yeah. intended. Mm. <laughs> so, all right. I, I have to touch on it. You know, obviously you're the star of the number one documentary of the year 2020 and uh, Russiagate. Wait, hold Russiagate. on a sec. If we're going to call it, you know, all the other references, how tall are you? Five eight. If women are asking, okay. oh, he's, he's well, taller, he's than, taller Tom than Tom Cruise. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah I've met Tom Cruise. He's really, really yes. Even with the lifts. Yeah, he has. They have to put him on an apple box whenever he's like doing a scene with someone else. What for real? I swear yeah, to you, Tom, Tom Cruise is like five two. <laughs> so, and you want to know what? If the, if the women are asking, we can confirm that they are because Amanda confirmed for us last week. Her DMs are often pregnant with MAGA moms mm. who want to get to know you. <laughs> Oh, man. They're asked to cash. I love it. All right. Russiagate, probably one of the biggest waste of time and money uh, in the history of the government, and there have been a lot of them. However, you you were one of the people at the centerpiece of this. Take us through a little bit of, like, what, I don't know if you want to call them highlights or lowlights, but some of the things that really brought to light what was really going on in the end. Wow. Well, so, man, that's we can talk about that forever. Um one look when when i started when when i met devin it was by chance through a mutual friend uh-huh. i was trying to help a friend get a job in the white house and i was in devin nunes's office and he figured out i would you know i was at jsoc before and was a prosecutor and public defender and he was like hey man this russia thing's happening will you come help me investigate this be my lead guy and i was like no uh sorry dude i don't know you and i don't want to do this job it sounds terrible um <laughs> best laid plans a month later i was in that job oh there you go uh so i was like all right if we're gonna do this devin like everything we find we're putting out if donald trump slept with like 10 hookers in russia we're putting (laughs) it out if hillary clinton and dnc orchestrated the biggest political scandal in u.s history we're putting it out now neither of us thought either of those two things would become a reality we thought ah we'll find some some squirrely stuff and whatever and we'll move on But once we figured out the money trail, I told Devin, like, you got to follow the money. Like, this is a no brainer. Like, nobody gets to do this for free. Yeah. Let's get some bank records. So we subpoenaed Fusion GPS. And as soon as they took us to federal court, I knew we had paid her because they were trying to block it from coming out. And then I said, let's let's go after this steel guy who back then people didn't really know he was. But I was like, I've done FISA's as a terrorism prosecutor. They're not easy to do. I'm telling you, you don't put in a FISA. Uh, golden shower episodes. Like that's not what you take <laughs> yeah. to a federal judge to be like, Hey man, you should surveil the president of the United States because he liked peeing on people. That's not a real thing. So I said, let's look at his sources. And back then we proved it five years ago. And you know, that circus animal, Adam Schiff knew we proved it, but what he was, pre- what we were precluded from doing was leaking classified information. Right. I mean, that asshat would go on the national media and say, I've seen evidence of collusion and I'd be like, where the fuck is it? Right. Um, I'm know, working the case. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's crazy. And, and he's still out there. We've played some clips of him over the last couple of yeah. weeks. Just that apparently that's the hill he's going to die on because yeah, uh, he's you know, not going to let go of it. He just doubles down on the bullshit constantly. No, no. And I think, look, uh, where it's going, I'm really happy where Durham is. I yeah. spent, I have this show, Cash's Corner yeah. on Epoch Times. If you're really bored and having a hard time falling asleep, go watch it. But <laughs> once a week I talk about like legal, not legal, national security defense stuff, but I broke down the three Durham indictments and where he's going and why I think he's on the right track. I literally think he's building a criminal enterprise because that's what this yeah. was. And I think we're going to get there in the next eh, two, four, five months. Oh, but I, like I think that. we're finally in a position. And the media is attempt. this is what pisses me off the most. 
all the media that said, you know, Cash Patel and Devin Nunes are, they called me a genocidal dictator and they went after Devin's 90 year old grandmother. That was like a highlight. And then I was like, okay, so you guys are wrong. Maybe you'll give your Pulitzer's back. Unlikely. Maybe you'll actually do a retraction. Here's what they're doing. The Times and CNN and all these other idiots are saying, we're editing a couple of our stories from the past five years. How about you retract all five of them? They really want, they're like, give us an award for being, having some integrity and saying we got something wrong. Maybe it's such wow. BS. It's it's an operation. Fusion GPS is probably running this thing all over again, because once they get to fusion, once John Durham gets to fusion and the Fiona Hills of the world, then I think we're going to see a lot of information come out. Yeah, I think we sure are as well. Um, And uh, it's, it's good to hear that you have faith in in the Durham investigation, because we definitely think that that's something that's going to wind up being just out of this world. Once we finally get to the top, top Um, do all roads, still lead back to McCabe? Yeah, 100%. Look, when I was a, when I was a terrorism prosecutor, that guy was the head of the DC FBI office, a pretty senior guy, and um, I didn't like him back then. And then he became deputy director of the FBI, and I was like, why is this guy getting promoted who should not be, you know, the deputy dog catcher? And it would turn out to be because he was Comey's yes man. And I caught him lying. Like we, you know, and the inspector general validated the deputy director of the FBI lied not once, not twice, but three times during an internal investigation. Who gets to keep their job after that? Right. Who gets to become the acting FBI director after something like that? You, you're supposed to get fired. And then fast forward five years. And this guy who finally Trump fired him, rightly so, gets his pension back because this DOJ doesn't want to take the time to litigate the matter. That's what the DOJ does. They litigate. It's just absurd that um, he's allowed to do that. But back to your question, the reason it goes back to Andy McCabe, and we put all this out, the text messages, the insurance policy, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page. And listen, I don't think, you know, Lisa Page and Peter Strzok were the only two people sleeping together. I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Um, And nobody asked the right questions during all these congressional hearings after we left. And I think the fact that they were communicating with Andy McCabe, who was signing the FISA warrant Mm. and authorizing this investigation, everything in a FISA warrant has to be approved by someone at the real at the top. There's no way this medium level attorney, Kleinsmith, was the only one to perpetuate the biggest fraud in U.S. history alone. It just doesn't it doesn't happen. And the deputy director is the guy who made it happen. Now, Comey's too smart for it to the trail to get to him, even though we know he did it. He's he's smart and evil enough to throw Andy McCabe under the bus. Yeah. Which is what I think is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of these guys think they're going to go off and, and give a soundbite every couple of weeks and some stupid ass tweet of them walking on their property, showing everybody how they're enjoying their money from being dirt bags <laughs> the entire time they work for the federal government. Yeah. And, 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 book deals. and signing book deals. <laughs> but I have a feeling we're going to circle back to a lot of those Comey's, Brennan's, Clappers, McCabe's moving forward at some point and in some context of the future to see where they might be uh, held a little bit more responsible for some of the things that they were doing behind the scenes. Now you, you worked with a lot of intelligence agencies. I, I think it would be good to, to now just for the fact of, of our listenership, because we, we get a lot of feedback and uh, can you assure people that there are real good people, patriots, people that abide by the constitution that work in these agencies that are just out there every day, like, putting politics aside and not trying to politicize everything. 
You know, it, it, yeah. it's funny, like the, pe- the people at the top kind of act like presidents because they know their job kind of depends on how loyal they're going to be to the administration. But we saw some stuff that definitely contrasted that during the Trump administration. But I mean, you got to work with a lot of the troops or at least be around them. And, and you saw yeah. some really good stuff while you did that, right? Awesome. They were the best. It's the reason we did the job. And that's why I think the best jobs are the ones I had when I was just, you know, being a ground pounder, doing targeting ops and having fun and like putting away terrorists and traveling around the world and like doing the work. Right. Um, Then and then and that's where you meet everybody who actually does all the work before it gets screwed up by leadership. And so for like your viewership, I totally want to say full stop. Ninety nine percent of the people that we work with are awesome. Amazing. They sign up to serve the mission. Right. Where we fail and where it got totally destroyed is because President Trump got elected, you have the Gina Haspels of the world, the Mark Millies of the world who think the mission exists to serve their ego. And they were like, I'm going to save the world from a duly elected president. And I was just like, well, I don't I don't I was like, when did we stop following the chain of command? And that's why there were so many broken institutions such as the FBI and the CIA, NSA and DOD, especially right now, is just so politicized at the top, not at the bottom and mid levels. Those guys are just they're they're told hey we need to, you need to focus on climate change you know their their marching orders are that they have to go focus on climate change and not al qaeda yeah but true. they're still there to do the work they'll be there in 2 years when we take back the midterms and 4 in 3 more years when we take back their white house so they're there true story yeah. it definitely has shifted from finding people like al baghdadi and and Soleimani and and shifted towards climate change and finding the root origins of white rage oh so that's something that's very near and dear to General Milley. I know he's talked about it in extent. That an eyeliner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that guy, for example, right? This guy's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, by definition, the highest ranking uniform officer in the world. Yep. And also by law, prohibited from being political in any way and prohibited from entering the chain of command. He is yeah. not participating, he's not permitted. And Congress ordered that because they didn't want the chairman to be all powerful. What does this guy do instead of create? plans to counter Russia, China, and Iran sits down for four BIC interviews Yep, and, and media publications so he can get his good name out there. I mean, you want to talk about the ultimate politicization of the DOD. And then he goes to Capitol and sells, as you said, I want to understand white rage. You want to understand white rage? Look in the mirror, asshat. I mean, <laughs> this guy is a total joke. When he used to work for me, at least I was able to keep him in line. But yeah. now all he's doing is just puppeting to the media so he can be the savior of America and uh, keep his job under the Biden administration. Mark my words, that guy will not last the spring. They will hang Afghanistan around his neck. He's gone. I hope so, because I know there, there's a, quite a few senators who are saying they are going to continue to hold up uh, Good. Joe, Joe Biden appointments, Ted Cruz and uh, Rand Paul especially. Well, and uh, hopefully some of these public figures start to realize that, like, I'm expendable. Like, I'm going to be the person who, like, we yeah. do this stupid thing. They're not going to take responsibility for it. They're going to blame it on somebody, and I touched it last. So, yeah, yeah, it's me. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why President Trump is still harping on the Afghanistan thing whenever he does an interview. It's usually one of the first topics he touches on, in addition to it being one of the biggest military failures of our time. Mm. Um, Not because of our our troops who were serving, but because of the direction that they were getting from from D.C. and, and the D.O.D., but, you know, it's one of those things where I think he continuously brings it up because we are going to see some accountability for those guys. All right, Cash, I want to switch gears a little bit and kind of bring it forward. Uh, what are your feelings on the 2020 presidential election? Oof. I don't really have much comment on that because I just didn't do election stuff. Like people were like, oh, you're Trump's, you know, acolyte. I was like, 
No, I was like Trump's national security guy. I was the I was the nuke football guy when he traveled. Right. Like I had a mission. My mission wasn't what are we doing in the election? You know, that was never my job when I was deputy director of the of the IC or, or, or DOD. And so what I tell people is like we should shout, you know, there should be election challenges when there are claims that are that merit them. And every state should be doing them if they have that claim. But I just don't have an opinion on like, look, we can't go back in time. And every time I talk to a Trump supporter, they're like, so is he going back in in like December or January? I'm like, no, <laughs> there's no mechanism to put this guy back in as much as I would like to see him go back in so I can go, you know, run DOD again. Yeah. What you have to do is win the midterms. Use all like do what Virginia did. Right. Do what New Jersey almost did, which is crazy. Right. But talk about the issues and you're going to win. We're going to win all day long. It's going to be a tough year until um, we get to the midterms. But that's what I tell people about elections. Yeah, it is going to be a pretty tough year. Um, now, with all of your experience within the federal government, I just want to kind of you, you've seen a couple of administrations. You, you mentioned that you worked in the Obama admin before you served under President Trump. Are you surprised to see how fast they could kind of just burn it down since January? Uh, I think even I am a little surprised. Um, I'm not surprised at their intentions. Right. Because like I said, you can pick your subject matter and the response, you know, their approach is what did President Trump do? Oh, he did X. We're doing Y. You know, insert Iran, insert Afghanistan, insert the border, insert vaccine mandates, COVID, whatever, you know, critical race theory, um, which wasn't even a, a thing then. But their approach is they, the Biden administration is we are going to take our cues from the media who will trumpet whatever they tell us to put forward in Congress, spending packages in downrange in places like Afghanistan, which by the way, that's not an event. That's not a withdrawal. That was an evacuation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we, we gave them some, we literally handed it. So for, for me and anecdotally running the DOD withdrawal out of Afghanistan for Afghanistan, a conditions-based withdrawal, we gave them all the blueprints, all the information. They refused to meet with us. They didn't call us back. And we said, look, this is national security. We we're going to give you everything. You can call it the Biden withdrawal plan. I don't care. Like, just succeed. Go get every American. Don't leave our equipment. Make sure all the bad guys are dead and then get out. Um, they didn't want to do that. They just literally let it burn to the ground. The Taliban called Biden's bluff. And Biden was like, no, um, the adults are here. We're going to win you guys over with, I don't know, honey and more milk. And uh, I thought you were going to say pallets of cash. Mm. Well, that's coming next. You know, first you got to give them sweet. Freshly printed pallets of cash. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 definitely uh, very interesting to see. I think it's like an equal parts uh, incompetent nominations and revenge hires. Yeah, you know huh? you, ha you have people like Mayor Pete running all the transportation <laughs> and stuff in the world, <laughs> or not, and, and uh, Kamala Harris, who's kind of been exposed for her collective body of work, which is none for those of us who live in California. We all know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and then you have people like uh, you know. Um, Merrick Garland and Alejandro Mayorkas under Republican, you know, um, White Houses. Mayorkas was under the microscope for some of the things he did or didn't do at CIS. And again, you know, Barack Obama was pretty burned by not having Merrick Garland become a Supreme Court justice. So you definitely see some uh, incompetency and revenge hires in, in, in the Biden administration right now. And it's really hurting the American people. It is. January 6th committee. It seems like just when you thought they couldn't rope anybody else into it, Alex <laughs> Jones and Roger, Roger Stone get subpoenaed yesterday. Um, no one is safe. Like sometimes 
Just us who casually report on it wonder if we're ever going to have a knock on our door and get subpoenaed just for covering it. Uh, I know you probably can't get into the nitty gritty of it, but what are your feelings on just the whole thing? Is it just to take everybody's mind off of the things that are really bad going on now and kind of refocus them on reminding everybody the lies that were made up about the end of the Trump administration going into the midterms and see if any of these candidates like running for reelection or for first time and are looking promising are going to hitch their wagons to that. Yeah. I'll say two things about it that I can say. So look, there is a purpose in place for congressional oversight, Mm -hmm. constitutional congressional oversight. The Russiagate investigation is a perfect example of it. And it's how you run an investigation and get facts to the public. I thought that was like, you know, yes, I was involved with it and let it. So maybe I'm patting myself on the back, but I thought we did it in the correct way, ethically and put out facts. Then there's other ways to do it. And since I'm under subpoena for this January 6th uh, thing, there's not much I can say except the fact that it's costing me a fortune in lawyers, which is what they know will happen when they issue a subpoena. Yep. You have to go hire a team of people and figure out how to, pay, and I'm talking six figures, mm. figure out how to pay for it. And all these other people that are getting subpoenaed also, they're in the same exact boat. And what they do instead of spending time on mission, and right now the mission for me is fightwithcash.com, right. um, putting out uh, educational programs on Cash's Corner on law enforcement, national security and defense. Now I'm spending time with my lawyers, right? And here's the thing on January 6th, I was at DOD. I've got no problem telling the American people the truth about Jan 6. I can do it, I'll do it anytime people wanna hear about it appropriately. What I don't wanna have happen is it be politicized. Yeah. And I think we're seeing the continued politicization of just everything in this environment. And so hopefully I'll be behind, have all this behind me soon and I'll come back on your show and tell you everything, including all the ways that, um, I think Adam Schiff is the most corrupt human being on planet Earth. Yeah, you did refer to him as a circus animal, and I don't know if he's got those eyes. That's so weird. Well, that's yeah. the, the pencil he's neck like too. All, that. Bulging out of his head. It's like <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, Noah and Antoinette. If you guys heard that, that's a soft confirmation for return on Steak for Breakfast. Looks uh, like yeah, we. I don't we've think been, it was soft. I think we had him at Tom. I'll come Cru- back. Yeah, Tom. Tom Cruise. <laughs> I might want to do it out of Vegas next time, but I'll come back. Oh, nice. Okay. All right. Yeah, I think Sweet. we might have had him at Tom Cruise of the plot against the president. Yeah. <laughs> Cash <So>. Cruise. <laughs> oh, my God. Cash, there are a lot of really good people running in the midterms on, on the Republican side. We've had uh, quite a few of them on our show. Anthony Sabatini, who's probably he's probably the most based one. He He's kind of even held mm-hmm. Governor DeSantis to kind of move a little bit quicker and doing some of the things that he's wanted to do down in Florida. And in my opinion, we need people like that. You know, you can't just have someone popular like Governor DeSantis, who's amazing and awesome mm-hmm. and probably the best governor in the United States. But when there's things like election integrity or illegals that are lying at the border and saying they're children and being flown in the middle of the night to Florida and three weeks later kill a father of four, you know, you probably want the people who work under you to push you a little bit more to get legislation to stop that or threaten to drive them to Delaware instead. <laughs> yeah. How old are you? Twelve. Yeah. I need a razor <laughs> to shave. Yeah. <laughs> no, but we, we've had on him, Teddy Daniels. We've had on uh, Bobby Python. Uh, Joe Kent's going to be making his. He's circling oh, yeah. back with us. Yeah, hey, he, buddy. He's awesome. Yep. Uh, yeah. To say the least. And, and he's really blown up. We've just had some really good ones on. And uh, do you think, as far as the midterm goes, the future looks bright? Yeah, we're going to take the House and the Senate for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be another, it's going to be a tough year. I'm, you know. But we're going to go out there and like we have been already, 
um, getting after it on new Devin's freedom tour, which is probably going to continue into 2022. Nice. And, you know, you just got to sort of like lend a hand where you can. I didn't, I don't want to be in, I'm not in politics. I'm never running for office ever. Um, but I think it's important to be able to talk about the things you can actually speak to. Like for me, it's national security, defense and Intel and like law enforcement, FBI stuff. Right. So I don't mind going out and educating people on that or having a conversation on it. I'm sure I made a ton of mistakes, but I'm happy to engage people, especially on, on, you know, on a platform like yours. I think that's what wins. Like, look, I had my first fight with cash event in Loudoun County, Virginia, two weeks ago. It sold out overnight, which wow. I was shocked because I was like, two people are going to go. Um, <laughs> but th- I asked them, I was like, why did you guys, how did you guys do this? Like you guys literally pulled it off. And they were like, we talked about the issues. We talked about critical race theory. We talked about force feeding our children education in public schools. We talked about the border, COVID vaccine mandates. We talked about the rise of opioids. You know, we talked about foreign policy. And I was like, yeah, that seems to make sense. That's a good approach. I was like, you guys should loudenize America. And, and I think that's the message that's going to carry, right? I mean, it, it almost carried in New Jersey. It should never have gotten that close. No. And I think you're just going to see it throughout 2022 because we, and I say we, the Republicans, that I, I identify myself with are going to keep talking about those issues. What are the Democrats doing? They're still running against Trump. It's just yeah. not working. Mm-mm. No, well, yeah, I mean, you have some Republicans running against Trump too. Allegedly, Chris Christie's come back into the news lately, and okay. uh, oh. I, 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 I mean, I know he has been it was a pretty heavy eye roll over there, right? Referenced as an aquatic <laughs> animal in the past, but I don't know why he's testing the waters in regards to. I mean, even the people on like MSNBC and CNN, where they've done like actual not just interviews, like CNN did a "This is Chris Christie" piece, and, and by the time they get like five minutes into it, they're just like looking across the table, and I'm like, why, like why? <laughs> and then every single. Like MSNBC, CNN, he's gone on them in the last couple of weeks, and they're like, okay, let's just say President Trump throws his name in the hat. He's going to run. He obviously wins the nomination. Are you going to support him? And Chris Christie's just sitting there like, that's not the point of me saying I want to get back into politics. And they're like, but are you going to support him? And he just like, he just looks stupid. Mm. You know, it's just, that's, that's an idiot, man. Yeah, that's not going to really resonate with anybody anywhere. He's not. <laughs> Stay so, away. Stay where he was at behind the scenes. Nobody really wants to hear from the guy. I mean, ugh. it's not like he can hide behind the scenes. Back in your fish tank. <laughs> Cash, last question I want to ask you. It's not really a question because you've mentioned it uh, very nonchalantly over the course of this entire interview. Will you be back in a, in a future Trump administration? Will you be back? You know, look, you, uh, you serve at the pleasure of the president. I think if he goes back, I go back. Um, and there's, you know, maybe he and I have had a discussion as to what that might look like, but that'll have to wait for post 2022 victories Okay, and, and to see if he, if he runs, but you know, when you're in it at that level, you know, you, you, you discuss how you're going to, and it's crazy for me to like say this as, as in the first person, but like discussing how you run a country or protect like America, and then you take it seriously and put people in charge. And that's the thing I like to remind people. It's a good place to end is like, do we have the bench if we go back? We do. It exists. We just didn't pick the right bench last time. True story. The there. I've worked with them. They totally exist. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. And if I could just, in closing, say, you know, uh, selfishly plug fightwithcash.com with a K for your viewers. Anything they can do to help support. I make zero money off of it. It all goes to the, tr- the Legal Offense Trust. And a surprise, I just launched my merch store last night. There you go. Which has an awesome all-American swag there. It's available at fightwithcash.shop. This jacket, hats, 
uh, ski hats and t-shirts and stuff that are, are doing pretty well. All of those proceeds go right back into the trust. I don't even draw a salary out of it. So any help there is greatly appreciated. Nice. And we, we will live link both places in our show description for today. And then I will forward it on to Erica if she wants to share it anywhere else. Do you have any other social yes. medias or anything like that? Uh, no, I just do Cash's Corner on Epoch Times. Uh, but you can find all of that on my website, fightwithcash.com. Absolutely. Well, Again, I, it's hard to say, like every few weeks, we have one of the hardest working men in America on, but here he is, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> one of the hardest working men in America, Mr. Cash Patel. Thanks for joining us. We're, we will be excited to have you back in the future. Hey, thanks so much for having me, guys. Look forward to coming back. Take care. All right. Up next on this Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast, she is running in Congressional District 3 out of the state of New Jersey, America first candidate. Jumping into the show for her first time today, Trisha Flanagan, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's our pleasure. How are you doing? Doing great. We are so pumped up. You know, New Jersey CD3 is in the deepest, reddest part of New Jersey. It's MAGA country. President Trump won CD3 twice, both in 2016 and in 2020. So it's a real head scratcher as to how Andy Kim, who is one of the most extremists in terms of being such a liberal progressive, uh, it's, a, it, it's curious how he won that seat to begin with. Uh, you know, when, when, the, when you look in the data, it shows that the rhino establishment ran a rhino candidate mm. and voters saw a choice between a Democrat with a D next to their name and a Democrat with an R, they chose the one who said he was a veteran. He's not. Andy Kim's a civilian consultant to the military, but he eked it out by 33,000 votes. Hmm. And uh, with this upcoming midterm, uh, we're not going to make that same mistake in CD3 again. Uh, it's going to be America first all the way. And I intend to take that seat and then take the gavel, uh, the speaker's gavel, out of Nancy Pelosi's hand for good. That sounds amazing. That uh, sounds great. Yeah, this is. I can already tell this is going to be a great interview. <laughs> Now, 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 it sounds like you've got a lot of fire and passion there talking about, you know, your America First agenda. What was uh, your motivation to not only get back in the ring, but to go off of this platform of America First? Yeah, I mean, when you say back in the ring, you're right. I ran in 2020, I uh, ran in the U.S. Senate race to uh, take on Cory Booker. Yes. It was another rhino establishment thing, right? But uh, I decided to take another bite of that apple, and here's why. Uh, I'm, I'm really an unexpected politician in the larger scheme of things. Uh, I, I'm a biochemist uh, mm. in oncology and immunology. Uh, I went into business for the majority of my career after I spent time behind the microscope. And what I found is that in my journey toward uh, pharmaceutical development and starting a family and running a business, uh, it became increasingly more and more difficult for, uh, for anyone who wants to succeed doing it the American way uh, to, to, to do that. And so when I saw these hurdles and when I got more and more involved in policy after the onset of Obamacare, and now especially when our medical freedom is being assaulted, mm -hmm. uh, I come from a military family and I was taught faith, freedom, flag, uh, and faith, uh, faith, freedom, uh, and flag and family. And I wanted to fight for those values. Look, when we started our country, our founding fathers had a vision, not of the swamp that we have now, but of a government of, by, and for the people. And the way we got where we are is by having career politicians. And I, I decided that I was taught when you can help your country and when you can help your family and you can step up, you have to do that. So I'm in it to win it, 
for uh, America first, but also for the full five point platform of uh, all the freedoms that we have to not just restore, but take even further back to their original conception. Yeah, and you, you talk about your, your campaign platform, which I know includes things to do with healthcare and, of course, national security. I'm probably sure there's some election integrity in there. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of those uh, pillars that you're really kind of trying to promote right now? Oh, absolutely. It's a full restoration of our American values, in my opinion, and that's what Congress has to do once we take back the majority. Our country's not too far gone yet, but those pillars that you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the crown jewel in my plan is really my healthcare platform because it encompasses my 25 years of, of my entire career. So I mentioned Obamacare. Uh, it has to be fully repealed, but it has to be replaced with something that works for all Americans. Right. And we know that, you know, House leadership can take that back up again. We can get another bite of that apple as well. Uh, if you recall, uh, repeal uh, and replacement was shot down by just one vote. Uh, it shows you how uh, how powerful one congressional member can be. True story. Well, we, what's that? True story. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Uh, you know. And so when we when we come full circle, we have to have powerful voices that are ready to bring that forward. And my proposed healthcare plan, I call it the proposed American healthcare restoration plan, and it rests on. Uh, increasing access to quality care and innovative treatment. Those are two different things. Mm -hmm. But it also relies on uh, the power of getting government out of the healthcare equation where it never should have been to begin with. Uh, my, uh, my healthcare plan was endorsed at CPAC by Liberty HealthShare, and it, it saves the average American about $36,000 per year. Wow. No previous healthcare condition exemption and no deductible. And people say, well, how can you do that? It's because I leverage the experience that I have. I know every nook and cranny of the healthcare system and the drug development and manufacturing process. We can go direct to distributor. We can cut out the middle person. The only people that hate my healthcare plan are the government bureaucrats. And I'm ready to take them on because I know where the secrets are. Uh, and so that's the, that's the first pillar. And then, as you mentioned, national security. National security is near and dear to my heart. I've been honored to be endorsed by Angel Moms, Marianne Mendoza and Sabine Durden Coulter, who have, who tragically lost their own children to the, the drug war, to the cartels that are running the border. Uh, we can't have that any longer. You, ha you just have to look to this last year where almost 2 million illegal border crossers are flooding our country. That's all at the hand of Joe Biden. Yep. We can't replace him until 2024, but we surely can get an America first Congress that will not only neuter him in his tracks, but we can start to undo and unravel the damage and harm he's done to our national security parameters. So I'm committed to that. And it's something that I've been working on the forefront of for the last several years. I'm ready to bring that to that seat and, and, and get our voices back uh, again to, to make sure that we're safe, secure, and, and that's the next step to prosperity. Yeah, I, I definitely like some of those things you just said. And, you know, everybody's been trying to figure out this matrix that goes into the equation that is the healthcare debate. And it sounds like someone who's a true insider with the correct intentions, bringing what you've you know brought to CPAC and already have had endorsed there, uh, would be something amazing to bring up to uh, to Capitol Hill and in, inside the Beltway to try and get that Obamacare out of there once and for all. Um, we just had, we just had the New Jersey elections. You know, Jack Chitterelli ran a, ran a really good campaign, I thought. 
going down the stretch, I wish he would have kind of focused in on a little bit more of the national issues that you could have tailored for New Jersey. Most importantly, like the vaccine mandates and the critical race theory stuff that really seemed to get uh, Greg Young or uh, Glenn Youngkin over the finish line in, in Virginia. Now, for all the stuff that's gone on in New Jersey in the last couple of years, and we're talking most nursing home deaths, highest property taxes in the country, um, you know, crime has really shot through the roof there. What are your feelings on, on just the overallness of, of what the people really want and what they got when they reelected Governor Murphy? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the, the same horrific deja vu all over again, isn't it? And, uh, you know, I I think that there's an election integrity piece that, you know, we can talk about. I've launched something called Operation Eagle Eye to address that. Okay. But, you know, as you mentioned, this was Jack Chitterley's race to win or lose and protect. And, uh, you know, I'm already undertaking those uh, protective measures a year out of the gate. I'm shocked and amazed that we were caught flat footed again in New Jersey. But again, it's the you know, it's the person at the top of the ticket that has that obligation. But when you look at the ramifications, uh, you know, we're we're in a worse position than we've ever been, because now Governor Murphy is in a lame duck session. He can do pretty much whatever he wants. He's already he already behaves like King Murphy, the unaccountable. And this just lends itself to even more unaccountability. Uh, But when you, you know, to answer your questions about, for example, the high taxation. Well, when you look at the tax revenue that comes in, we don't have a revenue problem. We have a spending problem. Mm -hmm. And when you look at how Phil Murphy has added billions of dollars to the New Jersey budget to accommodate illegal residents in terms of paying for college tuition, in terms of paying for their legal uh, their their legal care. Uh, I mean, this is just it, it's adding uh, insult to the same illegal immigrant uh, injury. And I think that when we look at Phil Murphy, we can't expect anything more from him. In fact, we can expect worse. But what we can do in two years uh, is when in January of 2023, when I pray that I'm the candidate who takes that office and and seizes that congressional seat, what we can do is we can push back at the federal level. Because when you look at the balance of the Constitution, yes, of course, the Tenth Amendment says states have their rights. Mm -hmm. But we saw in Brown v. Board of Education, Supreme Court decision that showed that there is a tipping point at which the federal law will supersede. And so we are not out of options, but we have to make the sound voting decisions to put candidates like myself in those seats to make sure that we have that unified voice. If we vote in one bold and loud voice, we can fix this, but we have to start now and we have to look at addressing all of these issues, not just at, you know what, what these politicians are saying, but what's actually happening, not just at the state legislative level, but how we can fix that with a pushback at the federal level as well. Yeah, that's an excellent point you make. And I, I think a lot of people forget, you always hear about the state's rights when it's something that, you know, governors and elected officials at the state level, uh, you know, want to kind of push back on the administration, but it's a two-way street. If the federal government is acting tyrannical, that's what the 10th Amendment is for. But in the same time, when you have someone, like you said, who just acts like a king, uh, who's occupying a governor's office, it's also in place to be able to look at it from both sides of the scope and in turn can weigh with the government if it's in the best interest of the people who live in that state. 
Exactly. We leave so much political capital on the table because we have these these candidate these uh, office holders at the federal level who are in lockstep with the legislature. Well, this truly is a new day that can dawn for New Jersey. And I'll add one more thing very quickly, and it it pertains to Jack Chitterelli's race. Go ahead. You know, he really he really uh, campaigned left to center, which is what the yeah. rhinos in New Jersey do because they make one very faulty assumption. They assume that because Democrats outnumber Republicans almost two to one in New Jersey, that that's a necessity, that they have to give up our our core foundational values uh, to win. And I don't know how many federal races we can lose. I don't know how many uh, gubernatorial races we can lose before we see that that's not the case. And I'll tell you the great arbiter, and that's the numbers in New Jersey. While it's true that Democrats do outnumber Republicans in terms of registration, what the rhino establishment neglects is there's another segment. The largest voter segment in New Jersey is the 2.4 million registered, unaffiliated conservatives. Mm-hmm. And when you add them, even Gallup showed that that was true, that we're legislatively blue, but New Jersey is actually a conservative state. And when you look at it that way, when you increase the enthusiasm level for a candidate, what you get is those conservatives, they come out and they show up and they show out. And that is the tipping factor for a Republican to win in New Jersey. And that's especially true in CD3 in my congressional race, because again, as I mentioned, it's the reddest part of New Jersey and CD3 itself is a plus three Republican district. Ocean County is plus 23. How could we fail again as long as we nominate America first candidates all throughout that region? And again, I intend to be that nominee. Let's take Andy Kim out of that seat. 100%. I can attest to that. I grew up in CD3 in New Jersey. And uh, between, well, it's not an operation anymore, the Oyster Creek Nuclear Power Plant, which used to be there. uh, That was one of the largest federal facilities in the state, in addition to like McGuire Air Force Base, which is pretty close over there as well. The planes used to fly over my house every day when I would be going to school in the morning. Um, It's definitely one of the reddest parts of New Jersey, probably one of the reddest parts in the country, to be honest with you. When you talk about just counties, and uh, it's the type of people who live there. A lot of federal employees, a lot of hardworking blue collar. There's fishermen, there's small business owners because of its proximity to uh, Long Beach Island and Seaside Heights, which are two huge tourist spots. And then going up, you have all the beaches all the way up to like Sandy Hook and stuff. So definitely uh, one of those things that I, I hope is going to weigh in your favor. Last thing I want to talk about, you know, you've, you've talked about everything that is your campaign and why. Let's talk about the actual groundwork. Now, getting back out there, meeting with the community, setting up events and doing things like that. How has the actual campaign trail been treating you so far? Oh, tremendous. The warm welcome that we're getting, not just in Ocean County, but in Burlington County, that Andy Kim assumes that that's his home turf. <laughs> and uh, we're getting we're getting overwhelming support there. And you're right that the ground game is going to make the biggest dif- difference. And, and part of that reason is that when you look at the dynamics in any primary in New Jersey, there's this all-coveted line. And a lot of states don't have this, but it's particularly problematic in New Jersey because the establishment, what they do is it's about 20% of the electorate, but they're typically the ones that show up for the primary. They have their own little backdoor meetings and they choose the candidate, not based on merit, not based on the conservative values that we're supposed to be espousing as the GOP in New Jersey, But they choose the candidate based on how much money 
not that they can even raise, but how much money they're willing to give to the local GOP affiliates. This establishment is especially corrupt in that it seeks out self-funders, mm -hmm. self-millionaires you know, that'll write them checks, thirty dollars and $40,000 at a time, but that won't win. And the best example of that is Bob Hugan, who ran against Bob Menendez, yep. a pedophile. And huh. he spent $50 million on that Senate race, and he lost by 12 points. We have to flip this, and it goes to your, your point that you just made about the, we the people, how I'm being received. The people are the ones that want an America First candidate. And my message is to them, if you show up in the primary, and uh, my, my hashtag on this is storm the primary vote. If we storm the vote and if we vote, find Flanagan on the ballot, we will take this mountain and it will overwhelm the establishment. And that's how we get rid of them for good. Well, you know, I, I kind of wish I still lived in CD3 sometimes. Like I mentioned before, we, we operate out of San Diego now. Antoinette's in, in Vegas, two pretty big liberal strongholds here. We don't have the opportunity to even, you know, hitch our wagons to to people who are running for public office, especially House representatives like yourself. So it, it, it's extremely refreshing and makes me feel good that my old home seems to be in good hands and moving forward. I hope we'll be taken care of by you. Before we cut with you today, Tricia, we do want to let our very interactive listening audience follow you on social medias. If you could provide those, we will live link them in the show description, and I will send them over to Raquel so you guys can share them. And then we have people who – They'll share your social medias. They, of course, donate to your campaigns. And, you know, we've even had people register with uh, voter organizations to go and knock on doors for you. So it's one of those things we try to do to get our, get our listening audience out to help you guys in your, you know, quest to make America great again. Mm -hmm. Pun intended. Pun intended. Right. Oh, and I'm so grateful for that. That's what it's going to take. It's going to take patriots all across our country, just like the Democrats banded together and got Ossoff and Warnock elected in Georgia yep. and flipped the Senate. We can do the same thing with the House this coming election. And this midterm is, I don't think there's ever been a more important midterm. So I can't convey enough of my gratitude to you for doing that. And you're right. If, if you know, people can donate $20 and 22 cents to take back our country, uh, that, that will go a long way to making that happen. So thank you so much. Yeah. Why don't you give us your social medias? Where can we find you on Twitter, Instagram, anywhere you want to give out your campaign website as well? Uh, sure. My campaign website is fight with Flanagan. Dot com. That's F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N, fightwithflanagan.com. You can find me on Twitter, at New Day for NJ, all spelled out. Uh, and also, same handle on Facebook. I'm on Instagram at Flanagan for America. Please also find me at Telegram, uh, Trisha Flanagan. If you type that in, you'll find me. That's where I get all the good stuff because you know how we get censored, right? And uh, on Telegram, I can get a lot of the message, especially out on medical freedom. So please find me on all those venues. And I look forward to connecting very soon. Nice. Yeah, we'll, we'll have all those live links in our show description. And again, we would ahead of time like to invite you back at some point during the next year to get an update on your campaign and see where things are going maybe closer to uh, after the primaries and uh, definitely keep you rolling here on Steak for Breakfast. Miss Trisha Flanagan, Congressional District 3 out of New Jersey. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much. Have a happy Thanksgiving. You as well, ma'am. Joining us now on the show, Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast, uh, coming in to co-host, do some news and commentary with us, making her second appearance on the show. Welcome back, Miss Gabby Fox. How are you? We're doing great. How are you? I'm, you know, making it do what it do. Sounds about right. That's what I've been doing. What else can you do? <laughs> Pretty much it. <laughs> now, before we jump into it, let's get a little bit of update uh, from you 
on your end and from your neck of the woods, what have you been having going on since you joined us last couple months ago? Um, so I'm not sure if my platform was launched the last time I was on the show, uh, or maybe I was just talking about launching it, but it's up and running. Uh, it's called sovereign holistic and it in a nutshell was, um, created because I had, you know, I was putting out what was going on and I like to put out solutions as well, because I'm not one of those people that's just like all about talking about problems. And I had so many people messaging me that I decided what can I create that can be a community as well as a resource and, and educate people on certain things. So the biggest questions that I, that I was getting were based around how can I sort of create a lane or a space for myself that's not um, connected to the the corporate institutional, you know, matrix. Right. And so I did that. I launched a platform. It's like a membership platform and it's educational. Every week I pump out, you know, a different topic. Um, I'm loving it. It's like, you know, I get to do what I love to do and help people and, and guide them in the right direction. And many people have been, you know, they, they might have conservative values, but they're sucked into the matrix too, mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I've been doing that, uh, got my own podcast up and running the sovereign voice where I've been just interviewing, you know, single guests as of now, I might expand that to a little like weekly, just gab sort of running through the news type show, um, nice. or type episode as well. I had, um, wonder woman mm-hmm. on uh, as my last guest. So that was fun. And we've become friends, um, like outside of Instagram friends, nice. hopefully we'll meet soon. Okay. So that's been, that's been dope. And that's about it. Just trying to stay healthy and, you know, stay in the fight and survive the shit show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which at some points riding the waves <laughs> yeah, can be exhausting, which we all, which we all can attest to. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, let's jump into the news, current events, stuff that's been going on over the last few days or coming off the weekend. We did have some Trump with Mark Levine, but I think even more importantly, we're going to get into, um, you know, the fallout from the interview that went down last night between Kyle Rittenhouse and Tucker Carlson. Uh, I am a watcher on social media, so Mm -hmm. I I have seen Gabby weigh in a little bit on some of these, uh, you know, talking points that came out of that. Um, Just so the viewer knows, 5 million people watched it last night, the first time it aired. Mm -hmm. Wow. Which is which is more than two and a half times the combined MSNBC CNN audience for the entire hour that it was on. <laughs> so <laughs> you could see how much of a public interest went into that. Um, we've kind of weighed in and out on this. I, it, I I really don't feel like it's a huge mega story that affects the nation in such a way that it needs to be covered as like geopolitical. I, mm-hmm. I do think there are some things intertwined. In it that are of importance, obviously, to a self-defense, the threads that the justice system hangs on, like all of those things are probably important. But the the actual logistics of the trial, I mean, it was only going to go one of two ways. It was going to appease the left or it was going to be an actual, you know, victory for freedom. Yes. And and, and obviously the justice system prevailed in this case. Um, But we are going to listen to some audio on this. More first, and we're going to have Gabby weigh in as soon as we hear it. It's 
Kyle Rittenhouse's take on on some of the lawyership that was going on with him during his his prison time that he was detained uh, before the trial, and and more specifically having to do with like Lynn Wood, who, whose name kind of leaked back into the media over the last couple of days, having to do with this. So let's let's get a little listen on on just this take that he had on it last night. You there? I was in jail for eighty seven days, and this goes this follows in with Lynn Wood, who Lynn Wood was raising money on my behalf and he held me in jail for 87 days, disrespected my wishes, put me on media interviews, which I should never have done, which he said, oh, you're gonna go talk to the Washington Post, which was not a good idea, along with John Pierce. They said I was safer in jail instead of at home with my family. And then after I'm billed- Your lawyer said that. My lawyer said that, John Pierce and Lynn Wood. 87 days is a long time to be in jail. It, it was it was very long. I lost a lot of weight in there. I, I, I since then gained it back. I know the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but 87 days of not being with my family for defending myself and being taken advantage to, being used for a cause by these by John Pierce and Lynn Wood, trying to solicit not solicit, trying to raise money so they can take it for their own benefit, not trying to set me free. So you think they could have raised the money for bail faster, but they didn't? Um, I believe it, I believe uh, sometime in September, September 5th, I want to say, they had over a million dollars. And- All right, Gabby, I know, uh, have you, Gabby, have you heard Lynn Wood's rebuttal to that piece? Um, I did not watch his his video. I've been reading some of his posts and um, and I've also watched a, a video commentary by uh, Robert Barnes, mm-hmm. the constitutional lawyer that works with um, with Alex Jones and people like yeah. people in that circle. Um, so what I know as a fact is Linwood was not Kyle's criminal defense attorney. Correct. That's number one. He was never his defense attorney. He was never part of the criminal sphere of of his representation. Uh, The second thing is, is that there's this miss, there's this rumor or this, you know, misinformation, actual misinformation going around that Mike Lindell put up the $2 million for Kyle to get out of jail. That's false. That's patently false. Mike Lindell is amazing. And he, gave $50,000 towards the the 2 million that helped Kyle which is amazing, which is awesome. But <clears throat> Lynn Wood raised that money uh along with whoever that Pierce guy is. I don't know about that guy so I'm not going to speak on him. Right. Don't know what his, you know, role or anything so I'll just stick to Lynn. Um defense attorneys whether they're civil or criminal they don't keep people in jail. And there's zero chance, zero chance that um, Lynn Wood was able to keep Kyle in jail or not raise enough money for him. That's ridiculous. As soon as they had the bail, they posted it. Um, Could there have been a comment like because everyone did on the left did want to kill Kyle um, for his role? Is there a chance that a comment was made like maybe he is safer in juvenile detention than he would be like out on the streets with his family because they're going to attack his home? Yeah. I'm sure there might have been a comment like that, but that doesn't mean yeah, he probably would have had to blast some more people. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that Lynn purposely, you know, held on to the money or didn't bail him out or 
something like that. Like I don't, I've seen weren't even available though. That's what I'm hearing. The funds were not available until November, I believe. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand. Like, what was it a go? Was it a GoFundMe or something like that? I'm not sure, but or one of those, they no, probably got kicked it, off of that. It was a website. I think that Lynn Wood set up, I think it was called yeah. fight back or something, oh, or maybe right. yeah, it was right. specifically yeah. for Kyle. Like it was yeah, that's fight it. for Kyle or something, mm -hmm. but I've been listening to people that actually know um, the details of, you know, the, the statements and the receipts and like how the money was raised and where the money went and all of that. And I watched that interview. So let me ask you guys a question. Did that interview seem very coached? You know what? Hundred percent. The guy. The, listen, the kid is being told what to say, maybe for a reason that we don't know. Maybe like I have my theories as to why, but that was all planned and staged. The yeah. kid was told what to say, one hundred percent. And I mean, look how fast. Like after the verdict, he was already uh, scheduled to be on Tucker, and then now Tucker is doing a documentary on him. I'm not saying Tucker's bad or anything, but there's a reason no. why these things are being said. Maybe it's also to put Lynn back into the spotlight because obviously we Lynn did not steal this money, you know, no. well, like looked into this further. There, there's something going on way more. And there's a reason why Kyle is saying this. Maybe he was lied to. And that's why, you know, I don't know. I just think there's a lot more to this story. Yeah. I was, I, I was yeah. going to ask you guys as soon as you were done making your, um, you know, initial commentary on whether or not you thought the producers at Fox had kind of got to him and, and kind of gave him like a format of the, how this was going to go. And then when they heard how he was going to answer, it definitely didn't sound as naturally flowy as it did when he was given testimony in court. And if no, you actually, if yeah. you actually watched it, his facial expressions and stuff, he gave off the kind of body language as if he was like trying to remember like exactly what to say. Yeah, exactly. To yep. I was thinking the same thing. I mean, to say that like Lynn Wood held him in jail. Are you fucking kidding? <laughs> yeah. Like that's a crazy <laughs> statement. And um, here's another thing. As soon as the verdict came down, a bunch of politicians jumped on Kyle like hyenas. I want to yep. hire him to intern for me. I want yep. this. I want that. Yep. And I'm not saying that they were all bad because like, I love Madison Cawthorn and right. um, a lot of them. Marjorie, I. Something's <sighs> off about her to me. I don't know. I just can't. Write, like, I, I like her, but I think yeah. that she is um, she's almost too much of a pit bull. Yeah. So, think, yeah, I agree. She falls for the conspiracies and she falls for the rumors really easy. I don't think that she has bad intentions. I think that. When someone even suggests that someone might be taking advantage of Trump or taking advantage of anyone, she automatically attacks them without like all the evidence. And I think that that's kind of yeah. what happened in this case. Um, big mouth gets the best of her. I think she needs to chill out a bit and, mm -hmm. you know, take a step back and wait, like you said, for all the facts. She's yeah. constantly like, <laughs> you know, like I'm hot headed, uh, but um, but I've learned through looking like an idiot and making mistakes and having to apologize that um you gotta like okay we all want to point out the rhinos and the corruption and all of that and make sure that there's no like infiltrators or right. people that are double agents and and all that shit but what we don't want to do is let the left win by eating each other when there's actually no evidence for attacking someone. So that's what I did. As soon as I heard the Lynn Wood thing, I felt like disappointed. And yeah. I was like, really? And then I said, I'm going to wait. 
I'm going to see what his response is. And I'm going to see if I can find some receipts and also um, wait for commentary from people that were more, you know, closer to the inside, like Robert Barnes and, right. and, and I mean, general Flynn, Mike Lindell, they love Lynn. And I don't think that they have um, a bad radar on that. No, it's, it's not like they're being blinded by their friendship with him. And that's going to just be like, mm -hmm. well, we've always liked Lynn. So we're always going to like Lynn. Like, I don't think stuff like that happens with General Flynn and Mike Lindell, especially with the insulation that they have around them. Right. And I also think that, you know what, like, I think a lot of this shit is happening and they do this too. I mean, yeah, Marjorie can keep her mouth shut a bit more and just chill out. You know, she mm -hmm. can't, I, I don't dislike her, but I don't love like the things that she's been doing lately, you know, in that regard. Um, but I also think that there's a reason why they do this, because, listen, it's easy for them to go behind the scenes and have a conversation privately yes. with each other and square this shit out, you know, and squash mm -hmm. the beef and whatnot. But there's a reason why they're doing this publicly. So for me, I also, you know, I, I play with a lot of scenarios and sometimes I think this is like the fog of war to confuse the enemy, to make mm -hmm. them think that we're fractured or that we're weak and we're fighting each other like distraction, you know, because there's going to be disinformation and misinformation from both sides on purpose because there is a war going on between the good guys and the bad guys, etc. you know? Yeah. So I feel like that's, a, you know, it's there for that purpose, possibly too, because they can easily talk about this shit behind the scenes mm -hmm. and like, you know, not call each other out publicly the way that they are. But yeah, Lynn is very case. open. He had yeah. Utah out to visit him and talk to him and they had a little he go? Beef online. Yeah. And he, he visited Lynn. Yeah. And Lynn, wow. Lynn said, uh, they both said afterwards that they were so glad they did and that they were glad that they cleared the air and, um, Utah apologized for attacking Lynn. Um, and mm. it was all good. So, I mean, I'm the only people that I really worry about are the ones that have things to hide. And I feel like Lynn's been pretty transparent with everything and willing to show statements, show documents, you know, whatever people need to feel better about him. Yeah, so, well, Lynn has been like, I mean, a lot of the people in the team have distanced themselves from Lynn for good reason. I understand why, because he's the one that's dropping like these massive red pills that you know, they agree with, but they can't really publicly endorse a lot of this shit that he's saying. So he's yeah. saying that stuff that people, others can't say right now. And, and I don't, they don't want to be asked about it. So they're it, just like, yeah. Oh, Lynn, you know, he's a little, yeah, exactly. And Lynn is like totally fine with it. You know, he's serving his purpose. He's doing, you know, his role that he's playing, he's playing it very well. Mm -hmm. And I don't get any bad vibes from Lynn whatsoever. He's not a thief. The guy doesn't care about money. He's got more than enough money. You know, I mean, his mm -hmm. whole family has basically, like excommunicated him that's you know? what i said yeah so he's not doing this for clout for money for fame for anything he really does love this country he loves you know he loved president trump you know patriots god he's a god-fearing man and he's it's not an act it's obvious you know you can tell when somebody's bullshitting or you know a scam well, and like i always say like he was a democrat he could have stayed a yeah. democrat like they make a lot of money being de exactly. scummy Demo democrat lawyers like he didn't have easier. to come to this side Exactly. His life would have been a lot easier, less drama, mm -hmm. but he clearly is taking on some crazy stuff and it's for the greater good. So I think people need to kind of remind themselves of those things, you know, instead of, you know, slinging mud and shit and realize that you just got to like, like wait. Everybody yeah. wants to be like, oh, I knew it or whatever. It's like, yeah, you don't know shit. What the fuck you do you know? know anything. <laughs> like, why are we so quick? I said it in my post. I was like, why are we so 
quick to attack attack each other now like so it's, weird Ugh, please it's just not good because yeah. the other it's only helping the other side like i'm like i said all about um exposing the fakes yeah. but like show me the proof real proof and let otherwise me myself you know i'm yeah. tired of people saying no you must think this way you that this person's like that uh okay you know yeah present your case and I'll be the judge of it, you know, but people yeah. are, like you said, are just so quick and they, you know what, they just follow the herd too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what they say? Every mm. lie will be revealed. Mm. Every lie will be revealed. We, we, we Lynn always the, says that. <clears throat> yeah. I know, that's why I say yeah. it. Kyle weighed in also on someone who's also has no idea what's going on. Joe Biden, who referred to him on the campaign trail last year as a white supremacist and talked about how it defamed his character. Let's hear how he kind of touched on that real quick. It's like my case. What did you make of the president of the United States calling you a white supremacist? Mr. President, if I could say one thing to you, I would urge you to go back and watch the trial and understand the facts before you make a statement. That's not a small thing to be called that. No, it's it's actual malice defaming my character for him to say something like that. What, I mean, why do you, you know, it, it kind of sounds like at some point he, he was told to say that because yeah. that, that yeah. just sounds so state. Sounds like malice. you might need Lynn Wood at some point, who's a defamation yeah, exactly. lawyer. That's what I was thinking. I was like, holy shit, this guy is attacking the one dude well, that could help him out and make him hundreds of millions of dollars. As much yeah. as as much as I agree that he was uh, fairly represented mm-hmm. and got the you know proper send off from potentially being in prison for who knows how long. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely got a bunch of lawyers in his ear right now. They're saying you could make a shit ton of money. I mean, he's hired Jillian yeah. Anderson as a PR representative. For, like he has a eighteen year old kid has a PR representative who's worked with the megastars. Yeah. Wait, so, who's the who's the PR person for him? Jillian Anderson, the girl who does like those. She used to do like those crazy workout elliptical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, yeah. No. Oh, get, like, I saw her sitting with life. him at a restaurant in Florida. Yeah, her firm is now representing him. Oh my God. So, so yeah, he's he's going to be private coached security now. I, I said it during the Tucker interview that he's coached, and you know what? If he is going into a bunch of huge lawsuits, he should be careful about how he says things but um he he's a kid like i i'm not gonna like say it's not all like it's not his fault he's a kid though i mean he's 17 and if they're telling him oh yeah you could have gotten out earlier if it wasn't for lynn like who is he to question that he trusts his lawyers they got him they got him i don't know know, even that i just had an idea like i just something came to me if that's Hmm. his pr person what i'm thinking is they're trying to like create a brand for this kid now, right? Mm-hmm. So his association with Linwood at all whatsoever, I think what they're doing here, if this Distancing. is, you know, if people are really telling him what to say and, you know, there's nothing, you know, there are more layers to this, whatever, um, that benefit Lynn, you know, um, I think that they're trying to get him to distance himself as much as possible from Lynn helping him at all in any way and discredit Lynn because of this brand that he's possibly trying to create for the future. I don't know. I just yeah. I, I don't disagree with you, and I, and I think the last clip we're going to play from this. It's I just the, hate that that's the world we live in now. No, it's true. I know. It's gross. And I mean, they really tried to mold this into kind of an extremely moderate. I mean, if you go back and look at the kid, everything from his 
social media handles, which were not moderate. <laughs> you know, right? Four doors, four more doors, more horse. horse. It, yeah. What was the one that they asked him about in court? I died laughing. It four was doors, like- more horse. So, okay. you know, it's like all the way up through all pictures. Right. This kid has been at Trump rallies. Mm-hmm. He has pictures of himself uh, with rifles all the way up from when he's like five years old. And he lived in the sticks. So fact of the matter is this kid is not a moderate. He's not an extremely thoughtful to like intercultural politics. Like those are facts. He probably has not sat down with his friends over beers that they shouldn't be drinking at their age while they're out (laughs) shooting shit in the woods like cans or watermelons and stuff and talked about how he doesn't stand for Black Lives Matter burning down buildings. However, he does stand for the purpose that they uh you know, they're, they're they're right. It's just one of those things where like that, that bothered me so fucking bad. I was like, this is not I, this is must the be a only, joke. The only <laughs> part that I agreed with was when he said we really do need criminal justice reform. True story. And, you know, yeah. there's he pointed out. Yeah, he pointed out like some really valid things. And I think that's yeah. what he meant by like, I agree with the movement, not the like the violent bullshit part of it. Right. But I agreed with what he said. And honestly, like if you really look at um, how everything was structured as far, I mean, Lil Wayne talked about this years ago, like called out Al Sharpton, called out the fact that they specifically go to the neighborhoods where they know they were selling crack cocaine because those charges stick. And the ones where, you know, it's the rich neighborhoods where they're caught with a bag of blow, excuse my vernacular, um, that they don't stick. And that's how a lot of people, you know, he said it was some some crazy percentage um, of people in jail were just in there for selling drugs, like not violent. Yeah. Offend, not rapists and murderers. Right. And he's like, they let the rapists and murderers out so they can fill up the jails with people who are selling drugs. And right. it's like. Yeah, he was stressing like the fact like um like his intake. I didn't watch the entire thing, but like mm-hmm. how how the guards treated him, how like, you know, he kept like he was overstressing how good and nice they were and how when they processed him and all this stuff. It was like I found that kind of interesting actually. Yeah, and then probably the most tuckered given line of the night was when besides his uh, sloth from Goonies laugh after the fat joke there, there was <laughs> that a, makes he's me laugh. such a dork but he's such a dork he, I love it he asked him if he thought Ruth. anyone was watching over oh. him and, and Kyle gave a pretty tucky answer uh, you just got acquitted yeah I mean like two days ago <laughs> yeah. so that was the first thing I noticed that you seem very calm you don't seem like someone who's just been through a you know, had his mind blown. Yeah, and the inside Too I was soon. freaking out, but the best thing you can do, you freak out, everybody else freaks out. It's like a chain reaction. Yes. So the best thing I can do is stay calm. Oh, wow. Do you feel like you've been watched over? I believe God's been on my side through the beginning. It's one of those ones where Tucker's like, nailed it. Come on, man. <laughs> It is you what know, it is. Um, uh, I'm kind of glad it's in the rear view. Also, there were some yeah. other unfortunate events that happened in Wisconsin, which is definitely why we need some justice system reform. You had out a guy who's an admitted pedophile, rapist, who already ran somebody over with a car, and that's why he was in jail. Out on bail, $1,000, and ran over and killed five or six people and injured 30 or 40 more at that Christmas parade, which is just unfortunate and kind of interesting. You know, I do have to point out, when false flags happen... Sometimes real people die. 
Oftentimes, real time. people die, right? Yeah. Most but, of the time. But it's just one of those things where you, you have this whole microscope going back and looking on the, the justice system, whether people thought it was wrong because of the, the Rittenhouse verdict or right because of it. And then you see this guy get out. It kind of get out at the exact same time as the verdict. Yep. And well, for some... he had like anti-Christian posts on yeah. his social media, yeah. anti-white posts on his social media. Uh, he's obviously not pro uh, woman. No, uh, he runs and, them over. <laughs> and he, I mean, if you go, well, I, I don't know if they took it down now, but his rap songs. Yeah, I see it continuously. Call them that. Yeah, yeah, it's all been archived. I archived Horrific. It's disgusting. He has the same car in his videos too, and he did. I think he ran somebody over previously before this. Oh, incident. he was in jail when he got bail. He was in jail for running over his ex girlfriend at, at a gas station or something. Right? At a gas station. Yeah, it's insane. And he's a and they're trying to say, oh, something malfunctioned with his computer oh, on his car. Out of here. Right. Shut the fuck um, up. he ran over the barricades and then swerved around and like barrel through. There's video. I saw it. It, like I replayed it. I was like, there is he no accelerated. Way. Yes. It threw <laughs> like, you know, like those girls with the pom poms, like the, the extreme dancers, they call them. Mm-hmm. He literally barreled right through them and kept kept going. Like, no, that's not an accident. And you he- saw his car go over them uh-huh. like speed bumps yep. and he didn't break didn't break at all at no. all. He kept going like he kept boom, pedal to the metal. I could. And he it. said something about the Rittenhouse verdict. Like this yep. is a open and shut case. He's a mass murderer and he's a racist and this was a hate crime and they need to call it what it is. Well, and then you look they don't at it. I think, to because I think this guy was tasked and paid to do what he did because it's a little Perfect. convenient. I'm sorry. I mean, just to like, where were the riots? You know, I think people are more awake than we realize now. And I think that this guy was put up to what he did. Well, if you look at how the media is like representing what happened too, it's, it's completely. Nightmare. The New York Times put it on page 22. Yeah. But, yeah, but they also. They don't mention anything relevant. MSNBC. A tragic accident. After the press conference, which showed his picture and rap sheet, identified it as a person. What? Just a person, not (laughs) a convicted felon out on bond, not an African-American guy. They just wrote a person. Wow. Yeah. And and it's just gotten to that point to where it's like, you know, and they CNN and MSNBC jumped right out there and said, oh, there was like some knife fight and he had to get in his car and like run away and he, he feared for his life. I was like, OK, that's fine for like the first block no or two. Way. They did yeah. not say oh, that. Oh, yeah, they did. They did. And, the and, and they absolutely got crushed because none of that stuff was true. All The only things that are true is that who he is. Well, it depends how fast the guy with the knife is running. What he's done. That the guy he, from Terminator? That the... he was out on a thousand dollar bonds from a George Soros DA in a defund the mm-hmm. police district. And what he did. Those are the only facts. Yep. And this guy, like I said, I mean, I'm a conspiracy person and I'm not saying this is fact, but I think it's a bit too convenient. You know, I, I feel like he was put up to it because he knows, you know, I mean, the other side can handle, you know, things let people out of jail. I mean, they've done it before. You know, he's not going to really I mean, look at the media, obviously, too. Um, like he's getting released and they're like, man, yeah. I sure hope yeah, I run over like 40 parade. people and I know I'll get released after like a week, you know, and then he they, he left his license in the car. And I'm like, OK, listen, he's either fucking retarded or that well, was he's on, on drugs purpose or on purpose. But like, I mean, I don't know. I just think it's all too convenient, you know, and too coincidental. Right. And shit. It's like it's like, I don't know. Well, even the Simpsons got the uh, Astroworld. No, the, the Simpsons Britain even House. had the, the car. Oh yeah, they no oh, South Park, South Park, South Park. Did it you was, see? You know the Illuminati card game? Yeah, 
he's on there. There's a car. <laughs> no, dude. South Park literally has the uh, trailer out for their. Was it, uh, was it South? Oh, it was South Park. Yeah. yeah, not Simpsons. They're doing their post-COVID special, and there's actually wow. like a, a whole Parade. bunch of people running around crazy in like the downtown street of South Park, and you see like a red crossover like spiral wow. through it. And run a kid over. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting that you, you see this stuff. And it's like that commercial came out literally the day after this thing happened. I'm yeah, just, I'm just used to the Simpsons are like always being right. Spells yeah. and like oh, yeah. holistic garbage, you know. Those it's guys just, are usually pretty dialed in too. I mean, they. they I mean, they, think about it. It's a Chris, It's a Christmas parade with a bunch of mm-hmm. likely Christian white people exactly. and children. A lot so of grannies. Could, could it have been a, on, have been on, a ritual for sure? Yeah. On World Remembrance Day for traffic victims or something like that. Yeah, that's a true story oh, as really? well. Yeah. So I didn't know that. Switching gears now. El Presidente, mm. Donald Trump sat down with the great one, Mark Levine, over the weekend. I uh, love Mark Levine. I love Mark Levine, too. He, he's one of the straight shooters out there. He's always told it right. He's kind of in the same mold as, like, Michael Savage. Um, I wish he would be one of Trump's advisors. And I hope, hopefully, in a moving forward administration, both of those guys I just mentioned were. Um, I've heard, you know, right. Donald Trump talk to Mark Levine about it, and last time Michael Savage interviewed interviewed Donald Trump, he said the biggest mistake he made as someone on the radio was thinking that he had an in to be in the first Trump administration. And when Donald Trump soft floated it to him, he just didn't show interest. And he said it was probably one of the biggest mistakes based on all the people that were around him initially in 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have regrets too, if I was him. For sure. So I, I got a couple quick clips from that. You know, we're, we're going to talk about uh, how great the economy was first. And uh, you know, what the China virus did when it when it came in, China. yeah, during those good times heading into 2019. But after elected, when I saw all these dirty tricks with Russia, 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 and all mm. of the stuff they were playing, I might have said no. But what happened is, we had this country so solid, so strong. Everybody was working. People that never made much money were going out and buying houses from their salary. We had food stamps way down because people didn't need it. It was a beautiful thing. I was getting calls from people very far left, very much on the left, uh, almost radical left, probably not radical left, but almost radical. Let's get together. It's really amazing what's happening. Let's get together. Then we got, just like every other country in the world, we got hit hard by the China virus. And we had to go down. We had to fix it. And we did a phenomenal job with respect to getting the supplies. We we had nothing. We weren't prepared for this from other administrations. I always say the cupboard was bare. And the state's cupboards were bare also. Yes. We supplied ventilators. We went into the ventilator business. We were making thousands of ventilators, sending them all over the world. In a short period of time, we caught up with the United States. And those are very complicated machines. I mean, they're very, very... Uh, you got to be smart to make those machines. They are very, very high-tech and complicated. We were sending them to other countries. We were sending them free to poor countries that didn't have any. Kind of no real big surprise there. We've heard some of these talking points before. Um, One of the ones that we touched on with Cash, Patel, who was on before you, Gabby, and and one that I I have noticed that President Trump continues to bring up almost firstly in all of his speaking events now is the withdrawal from Afghanistan and being one of the biggest embarrassments for our country in the history of... uh, the United States. What did Cash refer to it as? He didn't say it was a pullout or withdrawal. He said it was a what? He Evacuation. 
Yeah, something like that, or a retreat. I mean, he's completely aware of yeah, it was evacuation of what it was and how it was and what we did, and and, and you know, Cash made the uh, inclination that this is continuing to stay in the forefront of like not only narratives on shows like this, but when President Trump talks about it all the time, not because he doesn't like General Milley, it's that because he feels and he made the prediction that by the spring, General Milley will be out as the person who's going to wind up taking the responsibility for what happened in Afghanistan. Let's hear what he said when he weighed in on this issue again with with uh, Mr. Levine. The most embarrassing moment in the history of our country was the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Could have been. I was going to leave 21 years. That was enough. And I had it down to 2,500 troops. I was going to keep Bagram because of China, not because of Afghanistan, because they're one hour away from their nuclear uh, nuisance, because that's exactly what it is. That's where they make their nuclear one hour away. You know who's in Bagram right now? China. The <laughs> had, had to say it. <laughs> Gabby, Cash also made the uh, point that President Trump campaigned on being the president who would not start wars but end them. He definitely tried to live up to that narrative. Um, what are your feelings on on the stuff? We haven't talked to you since then on just exactly what went down in Afghanistan and, and how bad does it look for our country, not only in military strength but you know at the top levels of government. Not only do we look weak on the battlefield, but they have to be saying, like, who the fuck is calling the shots over there to just like literally do mm. it like this? Yeah. So if if people can understand one fundamental thing, it is that the generals that acted in the Afghanistan situation are completely compromised, bought off um, in the same boat as Biden. Yeah. Then you can begin to understand why what happened happened. That was a all out defeat evacuation uh raise the white flag to china come get all the minerals come you know it was it was a backdoor deal there was i mean joe biden himself there's a clip on the internet somewhere uh many years ago that he said it would take a, a long time to to do it right and to to get them all out of Afghanistan and that it would be, you know, a complex sort of situation. And now that he's in the position that he's in, I mean, he has a leash around his neck. Of course. So whatever, whenever China snaps their fingers, Joe does it. It doesn't matter. He doesn't care that it's embarrassing, humiliating, makes us look weak, makes us weak. Um, he doesn't care that our servicemen were killed. In Joe's mind, he works for some. He doesn't work for our country. He literally said, "There's nothing special about being an American." Like we're trying our side, and even people in the in the middle, yeah, are trying to understand why or how that could have happened. And it's because we literally have an enemy infiltrator bought off double agent who's senile control as the, as our, you know, commander in chief, there's, there's no one behind the wheel, but his handlers. So, I mean, this is a perfect situation for them. Yeah. And, and I want to clarify for you because a lot of people will hear, you know, that statement you made, which was 100% factual. 
And there is a lot of data and evidence and videos and, and things of that nature that will support that over the course of decades of work of public service for Joe Biden. And I'm air quoting public service because he's done anything but. Mm. When yeah. you say China snaps their fingers, you don't mean like Xi Jinping calls up the red phone on the desk and was like, hey, Joe, no. I need you to do that. No, no but, but there mm -hmm. are lobby groups, special interests, infiltrators, mm -hmm. professors at universities, uh, half a million visa students in the United States, all from China, who are all holding the line for their nation and basically taking everything they can from our government and using it as compromising material once it gets back over there to, to mainland China and in the hands of the CCP. It's basically like we've compromised ourselves down to the situation where if you have the worst or wrong person in there, which Joe Biden is, mm -hmm. this is the kind of way that they can, you know, bend the narrative to shape it around more of a America last at least China pretty close to the first agenda here in the United States, which is what we're seeing as they continue to buy up beachfront property, as they continue to send more and more people here every year, you know, to go to school and occupy visa spots. And we just keep letting it happen. And we're seeing the results of things that people have used as talking points for years. We're now starting to see what it actually looks like when it happens. Well, right. and like Millie is in contact with their generals, yeah. their buddy, buddy, like, when you say, how did Afghanistan happen? A, I'm sure a private conversation about what they wanted and how we could help. I'm, yeah. I'm fairly sure that it was as simple and as horrifying as that. Yeah. You know, I was going to say something. I don't, I don't, I really don't think people understand how serious this is. I don't, one, I don't think people realize that we are in an actual war, irregular war. Yep. Biden is just a puppet. He's just there. He's the front guy for China. China is occupying the White House, yeah. literally. And like, you know, we say, yeah, he's he, they snap their fingers. He does, you know, what they say. But it's so much deeper. It's like it's bad. Like we literally have China running this country. Yeah, and that, I, I mean, we, we well, all, it's a, the Obama regime. Yeah. All know, over again. Communicates with them and then. Right. Pumps Joe yeah. full of drugs and then sends him out like a little wind up toy. And, but, and, uh, and they said they would not have to shoot a single shot, you know, to, to win the war. Destroy us. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And this is what the, what's happening right now. Well, and there's uh, plenty of yeah. uh, military age males that are coming on in right now. Yeah. From well, all, that too. Yeah. From all sure. places, including China. Yeah. Um, doesn't sound like the Constitution is something that the United States is living up to right now. And D Donald Trump did actually touch on that briefly. I'm going to play it for you guys right now. It is based on the Constitution. And, you know, our country is not living up to the Constitution right now with the kind of things you see. It's uh, they're trying to subvert it. Mm -hmm. And more so now than anybody would ever believe. Bernie Sanders is saying, I can't believe they're doing this. This is far more than what they're doing to our country is perhaps, you know, they talk socialism. This is communism in so many ways. You know, it's pretty funny, and we don't talk about it enough because uh, on face value, he just looks like another irrelevant old man. Um, I, I had mentioned Michael Savage. Mark Levine has touched on it several times, and, and some of the other prominent figures. I know Tucker's touched on it, and, and President Trump's made, made the point. Bernie Sanders is calling a lot of shots in Washington, D.C. right now. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's pretty sad to say that all the people that are connected to him as, as well, in addition to all the Obama retreads, they've kind of reached a backroom deal of like, you make it worse, I'll make it worse-er. And, and it's it just seeing like, you know, we, we talked about it with our last couple of guests that we've had on the last few weeks because they've worked literally in the Oval Office with President Trump. Um, you have 
a strategic group of either completely incompetent, unqualified hires for cabinet positions and high-ranking officials, in addition to another equal part of revenge hires, like yeah. Alejandro Mayorkas and uh, Merrick Garland specifically, because they were both highly scrutinized under Republican presidents for things that they did were awful and wrong, or either mm-hmm. not nominated for the Supreme Court, and now we're just basically not only doing whatever they want in the worst way possible and like a burn it down method because they know the midterms are coming. They're, they're just basically claiming ignorance on all of these issues that they're being challenged with. Yep. Yeah. Well, their mission, their sole mission is to destroy this country, destroy the economy, the country cause chaos. I mean, this is, that's their mission entirely. In my opinion, that's what it looks like. It's coming obvious. You can't be like, honestly, like, these people are so incompetent. It's almost like like you have to say to yourself, it's on on purpose. They're, it's oh, not yeah. just because they're incompetent or stupid or don't know what the fuck they're doing. They're literally doing this shit on purpose. And anything to spite Trump, anything to reverse or do anything, literally out of spite to, they'll do complete opposite of what he did. They give zero Fs at all to help this country, to do better for this country. It's anything against Trump and their sole mission is to destroy this country because then it makes it easier for China to completely, you know, continue its mission and take over. It's it's fucking. Well, here's an interesting thing about the China dynamic. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but China called Soros a global terrorist. Yes. They are removing all feminizing uh, men, feminizing two men content from their, you know, their media boy boy they are uh you know el- injecting alpha into their military yeah and they've done a few moves in the past 30 days ha- that have made me kind of like like moves that i would expect from like russia yeah, yeah. um and it makes me think that there are basically four players here there's the UN slash World Economic Forum slash the globalists. Yep. There's Russia. Then there's China. And then there's us. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, right now, our executive branch is and our well, pretty much all major branches of government are being run right now by people who are working with the the uh, the globalists, the UN. But their their ultimate plan is to have a small group of countries that control the global markets and and there will be no more American superpower or the U.S. superpower. I think World War III is basically the three sort of biggest superpowers against the U.N. and globalists right now, but they're all kind of seeing how they can play each other because if China can use the UN and the globalists to overtake the US, which they just did in, um, I think they're they're now the largest economy as of like two weeks ago. Yes. Um, I think that they're kind of like using, uh, taking advantage of what they can take advantage of while are they have sort of a common enemy. But at the end of the day, China does not want what the UN wants. They do not want um, to kill all their people. They do not want to destroy the family. They do not want um, men to be feminized. They don't want this sick, twisted, satanic globalist uh, agenda. 
So yeah, like, I'm, I'm just paying I'm attention to the big dynamic, I guess, right now. No, it, it makes sense. No, yeah. it certainly does. And, and like we, we say, there's so much documented evidence that s- support this narrative. It, it's kind of hard to ignore. It's just a lot of people are doing it right now because either A, they think it's like conspiracy theory level stuff, which obviously it's not. Oh. It's definitely oh. not. You know, it's for, printed. It, it you is can printed. read it. Yeah, there's proof. I, I mean, I don't even think, listen, I, I don't think G is... Xi Jinping is even running China. It's obviously a front for who's behind the scenes pulling the strings. You know, nobody, not even Russia. No, I mean, Russia is our ally. I mean, I know that during this turbulent time, everybody's going to be testing things out just to see how far they can get with stuff. You know, I, I honestly just think that China is is a front, like a proxy for the elite cabal globalists, you know, to use to the spread their communism and their new world order agenda and, and all that crazy stuff, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy though, when you really check it. Think about the, think about this for a second. Who's an easier enemy to beat a bunch of disarmed, a, a few billion disarmed Asian people yeah, or us. Right. Exactly. So if the UN can can make China think that you're going to be the new, you know, the Chinese people are going to be the new, you know, race and you guys are going to be the superpower and blah, blah, blah. Right. Meanwhile, they're going to subvert them as well. And they're going to inject their disgusting agenda on them as soon as they help the UN to destroy us. But we are the greatest threat to the UN globalist agenda because we're armed. We have we still have freedom of uh, information. And, you know, unlike um, China, who, you know, censors what their citizens see, we can they're censoring us, but we can still find it. Yeah, the, we, we we're yeah, still we're, connected. The Chinese we're people are just, in freedom. Are, that's that's for sure. But I mean, look at they're injecting their soldiers with like cr- their gene editing, CRISPR, all this stuff, like you yeah. mentioned, getting rid of anything like soy boy material, you know, to beef up, mm-hmm. you know, the toxic masculinity, you know what the feminist. Yeah here talk about you know they're promoting that hardcore and what they're doing is they are like i said you know they've infiltrated us with our own people and they're trying to destroy our own military here right now via the vaccine and all this woke shit they've literally gone all assets deployed so they can weaken the shit out of us Mm-hmm. So they could do, you know, take over. Like, I mean, we've heard well, one thing I love to point out to the left or people that argue like for the vaccines. Did you know that China's not mandating their military to take the vaccine? No, no. of course. I know it's crazy. Right. And they don't pay attention to any of these things. These facts. They come up with excuses because they're drones. They're not yeah. real people anymore. They're just like literal empty little media vessels that just like right. puppet everything they hear on the mm-hmm. TV. Well, hopefully we are heading for better days ahead. Donald Trump did kind of, he, yeah, he, he did kind of elaborate on that a little bit in, in closing remarks with Mark Levine. Let's hear it. So it's a terrible, terrible thing. But this country is going to come back. It's going to be better than ever before. I rebuilt it to a level that nobody had ever seen. I then rebuilt it again and it was very strong. But now it's starting to go bad. And inflation is a very, very bad thing. I was here with Jimmy Carter. And the good news is Jimmy Carter is a very happy man because he's no longer going down as the worst president in history. So he at least should be very content and very happy. But I was here during the inflation or stagflation, if you'd like to call it that, of Jimmy Carter. 
It was a disaster. And this is much worse. We'll be right back. So, yeah, that, I mean, he does think that we're going to be able to rebound from this. The longer it takes, the harder it's going to be. But, you know, we, we have to kind of keep our eyes focused, not only just in the fight that's in front of us right now, but also on the future because I'm one of those people who do think that we are going to be able to bounce back from this in better days ahead as well. Be better. I you think guys, how- did you guys hear that today Mike Lindell um, filed with the Supreme Court on uh, the election uh, integrity? cases and Trump put out a statement today asking basically in paraphrasing my own words, what the hell's going on with Arizona and why hasn't Jenner, uh, what's his name? Brock, Brockovich, Burnovich. His name? Burnovich, Burnovich. Yeah. there we go. Mr. Burnovich done his job. <laughs> so I, I saw the statement. That that I didn't know that about Mike. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep. Catch up. You've been on the show all day. So there's a lot oh, that wow. happens in a few hours. Yeah, I think I saw, I saw that. it this morning yeah. and I knew it was coming. I heard about it a few weeks ago uh, with uh, Lindell. But yeah, I got up super early this morning to do my Instagram post of Mike Lindell saying that everybody should wish him prayers because he's he's out there working for us and put a, nice, awesome, little, man. Put a nice little caption Seriously. on it. So, yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, we have to know that there's a lot of different people who, who are working in a lot of different contexts um, to kind of get this country back on track or at least in the meantime, hold it together, Yeah, you know, in, in the, in the best context we can, because, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, we have to really just take into consideration, um, the acting be- that goes on behind the scene. And oh, yeah. in the last couple of weeks, we have really been fortunate to have some actual insiders who worked in these major departments, either whether it was under Mike Pompeo or people that went in and out of the Oval Office every single day for years. Um, and, and, you know, they, they kind of alluded to the fact we straight up asked cash today, please tell us because of the bad raps that the CIA and the DOD and the FBI get that there are some real actual patriots in there just doing things to hold the line. And he's like, I work with these people every day. He's like, let me tell you, there are scumbags and I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. and awful people. And he mentioned a couple of them by names. He mentioned Brennan, awful, he, you know, right? but he said some of the people really go in there and just know that they've got a country to save and a country to defend. And, and he's seen them physically go in there and do the work that they need to do. So that was kind of refreshing to hear, not from someone who just commentates on it like we all do, but literally mm-hmm. worked with these people for, for several years in, in, in many different faucets when he was in, you know, working in the either with the uh, counterterrorism stuff or as a direct uh, assistant to the president. Gabby, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we love having you on again. Always an extended invitation to come back. Um, we love your commentary and your opinion as well. You're doing a lot of great things right now, and uh, we want to be able to direct traffic to find you on social media, your website, your podcast. Why don't you give us whatever you want to give, and then we'll live link everything in the show description for you. Great. Thank you guys for inviting me back. Always good combo. Um, so my Instagram is real Gabrielle Fox, um, but that page is a bit shadow banned, Mm -hmm. but my, my backup page is linked there in that bio. It's Gabby Fox 2.0. Um, my platform is sovereignholistic.org. It's a super, super crazy, affordable little educational community, um, of people that just want to be sovereign and sustainable and break out of this nasty matrix. Um, and uh, if you'd like to follow my podcast, it's called The Sovereign Voice, and it's on all the major platforms. And my telegram is uh, Patriot Femme Broadcast. And I think that link is in my bio of my Instagram as well. All my little links are in the bio of my Instagram. So that 
kind of keeps it all together. Yeah, we'll live link everything for you. Then we'll send you the show information. If you want to throw it in your Telegram, let your uh, listening audience hear your voice on our show. That'd be great. And uh, we want to wish you an early Thanksgiving. And uh, definitely, like I said, we look forward to having you back in the new year. And thanks for coming on today for breakfast today. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. You guys have a great holiday. And I appreciate all of you being here in the fight with me. Thank you, sweetheart. You too. Well, there's some big news, both literally and physically, that have come across the wires the last couple of days. The large one from New Jersey. The large one? Chris Christie <laughs> has uh, swam back into the narrative. The person that would most likely be confused with an actual manatee himself has mm. written a book. <laughs> um, and he's gone on shows like on MSNBC, on CNN, and also Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram over the past couple of days to talk about it. And everybody's kind of making the uh, putting two and two together that this means that it looks like he's going to try and throw his name in the hat. I don't know why. Don't do it. Cash Patel was on with us earlier today and laughed when we you know, asked him about it, why he would even think of doing something like that. It turns out that he was responsible for some of the horrible hires in the beginning of the Trump administration back in 2016. Um, <laughs> he kind of excommunicated himself with the president during the time period between like December 20 and January 6, based off of election claims. And he's been challenged on some of this stuff over the, over the past couple of days. So he sat down with Christy Wallace on uh, MSNBC on Sunday. I'm going to play a clip from there first before I let you guys hear a little bit of him on Laura Ingram last night. I'm sorry. I read that section carefully. Um, but you know, the book is called, um, it's about conspiracies and lies and you really don't take on Fox news. Why not? Look, because the book was no, because because the book. No, I I don't watch it, but the book. Are you aware of what he does? Not really. I don't pay a lot of attention to it. It's a book with truth deniers, conspiracy theorists on the cover, and you attack CNN and the New York Times and MSNBC and not Fox. But excuse me, I don't attack them as conspiracy theorists or truth deniers. I talk about bias. And is bias more dangerous to the country than conspiracy theorists? No, but that's the third section of the book where I talk about the movement forward. In the center portion of the book, we talk about the conspiracy theories and the truth denying that went on with things like QAnon, Pizzagate, the election situation, John Birch Society. And that's what I talk about. There's two sections of the book. And I'm sure accidentally you're conflating them. I'm not conflating them, but I don't think you, you have, I don't think them. it's an intellectually honest case to make against conspiracy theories without taking on Fox News. Well, I could listen, then you can write that in your book. Well, ah. I'm not trying to rescue the Republican Party. <laughs> mm. You write wow. that in your book. Well, here's the thing. First of all, do, do either one of you guys think that that bitch read the book? Negative. Oh, not at all. Zero percent. She she looked oh, at like the chapter descriptions. <laughs> yeah. And, and secondly, it's like one of those things where like. Chris Christie, if you're trying to re-inject yourself as, like, the alternative to Trump into the Republican politics in an attempt to, um, air quoting, save the party. It's not going to work. Talking about QAnon and Pizzagate are not the best ways. Whether, you, whether, whether you're for or against truth-telling or debunking, any way to get there. Leave it alone. I wouldn't even mention it, whether or not you believe or don't believe in it, you know, if that's the case. Exactly. Whatever. Going after the New York Times and CNN and, and, and you know, media outlets <laughs> like that, good angle. Staying away from Fox News because they really don't cover anything except boomer politics. Uh, probably a good angle as well. But but just in general, I just trying to understand it. 
you know, and Clearly wrap my brain told, around it. He was told what to say, you yeah, know, of and course. to attack of, him about it, obviously. Of course, because they, they, they know that he's not going to do anything. And, yeah. and Laura Ingram kind of pushed him on it last night. So let's see what she said when he jumped on her show uh, on Fox News. And we shouldn't be focused on anything that happened in 2020 anymore, Laura, because in the end, that election is over and we've got to move forward. You, you believe that election integrity matters, though. You know, you've, you've always been in favor of voter ID and all, all that, correct? Absolutely. Checking past roles. Absolutely. So I just want to. So you, you do think that that's important. And if there are issues oh. that states should address those issues, clean up the voter rolls, track ballots and make sure everything's done copacetically, correct? Absolutely. That's a forward-looking issue, Laura. That's saying, okay, we know what happened in 2020 in instances where the voting laws were changed improperly and what it caused in terms of confusion um, and people's concern about integrity. So that's why I supported the Georgia voting changes very strongly that Brian Kemp put into place, support the Texas voting changes that were put into place by Governor Abbott and every other place in this country where a Republican governor is leading the way to change voting, making sure that vote counts happen much more quickly than they do you know and this is also piggyback oh, off the commentary um, that he also gave i believe it was last friday i didn't want to play it because it's a clip that's been recycled so often where you know someone was talking about him okay if you run and as a republican nominee and donald trump wins the nomination are you going to support him and then of course they backed him into a corner to where he had to say but of course and then he like segues kind of and like throws a semicolon in there and he's like but you have to remember donald trump lost to joe biden so i haven't False. Oh fuck you! Yeah. Unequivocally false. Yeah, so. it's just it's disgusting. He talks about okay, yeah, election integrity, but why doesn't he talk about the stolen election? Literally, they rigged and stole it. Well, he I mean, he, he gave kudos to to Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia. So I know <laughs> we, we know where his politics lie. We're gonna He's round on by China himself, just like Biden. Fuck these guys. Yeah, he, and he was scandal after scandal when he was the governor of New Jersey for two terms. Um, yep. Rounding third now. Heading home. Last segment. COVID in the holidays. Can't really get around it. Mm. Um, but we did have, I saw yesterday, and it's unfortunate because I'm not going to be able to give you the full context of this. So Peter Navarro appeared on Barney and Company and talked about, they want to talk about China and trade, but they talked about the COVID vaccine first. That clip was played on War Room yesterday in the evening edition. And unfortunately, there was a really good portion in there that I'll talk about after the clip. That was edited out when they put it up in podcast form. I watched it on my television and I went to rewind the TV and I was like, oh, maybe I should just record it off the TV because I'm going to forget. But then I was like, oh, no, the War Room clip's going to be up in like two hours. So I'll just go and screen record it off there. But let's let's hear this kind of lean in about the COVID vaccine first. First, forgive me, but I want to talk to you about vaccination. I I know that you are not vaccinated. I want to know why. And I'm going to ask, what are you prepared to give up? Because you're not vaccinated. You're going to give up your job. You're going to give up flying and traveling. Where do you stand on this? Stuart, as as I documented in in my In Trump Time book on February 9, 2020, I was the guy who wrote the memo for the president that said if we act now, we could have a vaccine by October or November. We hit that mark. That was one of the great achievements President Trump. But in those memos, I also documented that the vaccine was unlikely to be a, a silver bullet, that we would need widespread use of therapeutics, Facts. and that the virus, and this was all in the memo, Stuart, would rapidly mutate over time and we would be in a war of attrition. My position on the vaccine is simple. Uh, people should have the choice 
Uh, the vaccine should only be used for people who need it, which are mm. senior citizens with a risk of death, people with comorbidities, and it should not be used for children, for example, or otherwise healthy people. That is the role of therapeutics. And I had a battle royale in the White House, Stuart, over the use of therapeutics, like cheap therapeutics, like hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and other supplements, which I believe would be, uh, be more effective. And I believe that if we had used therapeutics instead of being fought by the Fauci's of this world, mm. over 300,000 Americans would be alive today. So that's my position. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a therapeutics kind of guy at the first sign of sickness. Um, and I, I have had the, uh, I've had the virus, so I've got it 20 times the power of antibodies that, that people have if they get the vaccine. Okay. So I think we need to have Goody a discussion, mm -hmm. Stuart, about what good science is. And by the way, there's a lot of people out of, out of work now because of this vaccine mandate That's that true. President Trump never would have imposed. Yep. Pilots, truck drivers, yep. food processors, longshoremen. I mean, I look, if I had known this was going to be as used as a weapon, I would have thought twice about getting a vaccine on February 9, 2020. I'm not anti-vax, not anti-vax. But this, uh, this is a personal choice, and science tells me that uh, it's the right choice right. for me. And you look at Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, he didn't take the vaccine. He was off a week. He get, went back and won a game. Healthy people don't need that vaccine, and it's dangerous to give it to them. There right, you Pete. go. Now, he, so here's the thing. He went on War Room. At the, uh, so he was on our show, right? Yeah. And then he literally went and did this interview, and in the same day went on War Room. He's wearing, like, the same outfit all three times. <laughs> and he said he had to hard go, and it was because he was jumping on the show. I went on, and I watched this, and then I went and found the clip because I wanted our audience to hear it. Now, there was a part on War Room where he was talking about this exact narrative. Steve played a small portion of that clip and was challenging him on it about, like, the mandates and the people who were out of work and this, that, and the other thing. And Peter went right in as they were going into a commercial break. You know, the music starts playing on War Room, and he's, like, talking about it. He's like, you know, this is a vaccine. Like, he, he reiterated the fact and said it was, it was like, a, it was a non-all-the-way tested leaky vaccine. It was for old people and old folks' homes. Ones that just needed it at the time. It was it was like an extra layer of protection for him and therapeutics were everything else. And then they go to commercial and then they cut it bad to where like that part I watched on the show on television, but it wasn't on the podcast online. So mm -hmm. I, where I was thinking where I'd just be able to go and get that and piggyback it off of this original comment he made where he was saying it was for, you know, again, yeah. a leaky vaccine for old people with comorbidities that were like locked in nursing homes and stuff like that. Mm. War Room edited it shittily. Mm. And, uh, yeah, come on, Steve, you got to get, what's it? Denver is the person that cuts all their audio doing mm. a little bit better job. You got Noah over here. I know you like to steal our guests after we have them on. Don't you go take a Noah to edit your war room. Podcast. <laughs> uh, might be looking on, for Denver, work. Get Just together, Denver. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I, I would have liked to have that other part from, from Dr. Peter Navarro, but, but, but we kind of get the point across. So, yeah. you know, it was, it was one of those things where, uh, he, he's really starting to kind of hone in on not just the specifics of it, but he did say Trump wouldn't have mandated it, especially not for blue collar workers and this, that, and the other thing. So, well, it's um, true. I mean, we all know that too. We don't like, I mean, um, honestly, he's always said, you know, it's your choice. Yep. Winsome Sears jumped on yesterday with Dana Bash on CNN uh, and was talking about some of the vaccine stuff, probably pushing back on the newly elected governor in Virginia, where she, she's also going to be a, a top level official there. Um, about how now where, you know, uh, Yunkin isn't going to really push back on the narrative of, of mandating vaccines to businesses and stuff like that. So 
As she kind of trolled her along, she asked her about her vaccine status. You'll probably both like the response that she gave. Saying whether you are vaccinated. Do you want to say now? As I said, America, if it's nothing else, it's about liberty. It's about being able to live your life free from the government telling you what to do. And so we understand this this thing about slippery slopes. The minute that I start telling you about my vaccine status, we're going to be down the bottom of the mountain trying to figure out how we got there because now you want to know what's in my DNA. Mm. You're, you're going to want to know this, that, and the other. In, in New York, you see, we have people, waiters, waiters, asking people their vaccination status. And by the way, do you know point. what else they require? A photo ID to determine if this vaccine card you're presenting is really you. Oops. Who are we fooling? Come on. Let's say you get the vaccine. Go ahead and get the vaccine. If that's what you want to do, get the vaccine. Don't force it on anybody else. We know. And by the way, media, they're not telling us that people are suffering as a result of getting the vaccine. Uh, they're, they're, they have all kinds of problems. So, I understand it might be the, the minuscule, but when you're the one out of 30,000 that gets it, it's important to you. So we need to tell. I like that. I, I, I haven't heard somebody use such an eloquent analogy as to where you have waiters basically dock checking on whether or not you've received some kind of experimental gene yeah. therapy. That's to, ridiculous. To determine on whether or not you're going to indoor dine or not like they are in no, New York I know. and San it's, Francisco. It's insane. It's like you've got some rando like a like valet car check guy. Yeah. Yeah, before, it's like, before I park your you? car, can I see your vaccination status? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before, yeah. Before well, getting your car and touch your car. It's your the new belt. it's the new put your mask over your nose, Karen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, that's a, and well, the other point she makes, it's like, there's a very valid reasoning that you could potentially be injured by this. Now, if you want to look at it by that rationale, I might get COVID. Mm -hmm. What, less than 1% chance that I'm going to die? A fraction of 1%. A fraction of 1% that I'm going to die. Okay. I don't know what the actual potential for me to have an adverse reaction to a vaccine is, but she's, it seems like it's relatively high. Well, she said, even if it's minuscule, it shouldn't be taken lightly because if you're one and she just used the number, let's say you're one in 30,000. Yeah. Well, guess what? You're dead. Yeah. But, so. but that being well, yeah, said, and it's Russian roulette. You don't know. Yeah. There's no proof that there's no liability from anyone. And there's no proof that you won't get affected with an adverse reaction. But that's what, exactly my point. I will yeah. not be affected with an adverse reaction from if COVID. I do not get the vaccine. Exactly. Perfect. Exactly. But, so, you know, we all get colds and we all get flus and 99.9 whatever percent they say, you know. 99 problems of a bitch ain't one. But a vaccine ain't <laughs> yeah. one. I like it. Well, you know, you know who we all don't like. Hmm. I have so many people I could say right now. He's back. I know, it's right? been a couple weeks. I'm, I'm, he's circling back. Uh, yeah, was... the Fauci one, fucking guy. And he wants to just let you know that uh. sitting down with your family for a nice normal Thanksgiving is okay only if you've had your boosters. Yeah, but Halloween. Let's hear what he, Let's see. Okay. You need to make sure that the turkey you're having have has been be boosted. During Thanksgiving, you talked about Christmas protection with those boosters, but quickly, if you will, Thanksgiving. Mm. 
Like anybody well, listens. if you're boosted, I mean, if you're if you're vaccinated, and hopefully you'll be boosted too, oh. and your family is, you can enjoy a typical Thanksgiving meal, Thanksgiving holiday with oh. your family. There's no reason not to do that. The thing we are concerned about is the people who are not vaccinated, oh, because God. what they're doing is they're the major source of the dynamics <laughs> of the you infection are part in the community. Of the, problem. And the higher the level. Of dynamics of infection, the more everyone is at risk. But if you're vaccinated, you look at the data, Martha, it's absolutely clear. The data? The likelihood of getting infected, getting hospitalized, or dying if you're vaccinated versus non-vaccinated weighs very, very heavily in the protection of people who are vaccinated. Wait, what? I presume... That's... Oh everything, that was 57 seconds of, of just unadulterated lies. There was Wait, that what one data thing he is he citing? I want to see this data. The CDC, the FDA, and the NIH have all put out data supporting that is not the case. And just in the UK, he, the and, Gateway Pundit released an article saying that the majority, seventy, uh, like I think it was up to seventy percent of the people with COVID nineteen in the hospital and dying are fully vaccinated and boosted. With boosters. Yeah, and, and the thing is, crazy. he knows that the retards who only follow shows like that on legacy media channels. Four to six percenter. And, right. And listen to those pundits are just going to take whatever he says and takes their Thanksgiving biscuit and dabs it in that gravy and eats it right up. Oh, I thought you were going to say dabs it in the vaccine. Nice. Dabs it in a booster. I think they're going to have uh, vaccinated gravy soon. Don't worry. Because even though there are new um, people coming in at the top of both CNN Man. and MSNBC, CNN's been told that they're going to have to start reporting real news now by their, oh. by their new owners. And the new, wow. pers- the new person who's going to be managing MSNBC, it's been leaked that he doesn't know if he's going to be able to have the network continue the relationship with Joy Reid anymore for her extremist views on the network over the last year and a half. What? Yes. Who is this guy? I don't know, but it's probably for pieces like this. Jose uh, hmm. Ross who was one of the hosts filling in for somebody over the weekend, did an amazing segment on how just racist, absolutely racist Thanksgiving is. And in our last audio clip of the day on this Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast, heading into the Thanksgiving holiday, I felt no way better to bless our listeners' ears than hearing this hit piece on Turkey Day. With Thanksgiving right around the corner, I wanted to turn the mic over to Cross Connection favorite and my friend Yassi Ross for this mm. week's essay mm. and his take on the real story of Thanksgiving Tell and some history on, okay. you probably never read in your school books. <laughs> okay. Nadanako Umakumsuka. What? My name is Jossie Ross. I come from the Amstapi Bukani Nation. Huh? The mythology of Thanksgiving oh, no. closely mirrors the mythology of America. Hmm. That mythology is the image that white Americans love to see of themselves. Hmm. White settlers come to a strange land in good faith, bringing something of great value that enriches the people who are already here. The natives also bring something of immense value, equal exchange. That closely mimics the mythology of white America. It is how America wants to see itself. The truth, of course, of Thanksgiving is much different. The truth is pilgrims did not bring turkey, sweet potato pie, or cranberries to Thanksgiving. They could not. They were broke. They were broken. Their hands were out. They were begging. They brought nothing of value. But they got fed. They got schooled. Thanksgiving. It makes sense. There is much for white Americans to be thankful for. But I'm still trying to figure out what indigenous people received of value. 
Instead of bringing stuffing and biscuits, those settlers brought genocide and violence. Mm. That oh. genocide and violence Hi. is still on the menu. As state-sponsored violence against one. Native and Black Americans is commonplace. And violent Hi. private white supremacy is celebrated and subsidized. From Stone Child Chief Stick to Mike Brown to Renee Davis to Breonna Taylor to mm. Eric Gardner, Indigenous My. and Black people are still being murdered by those paid to protect oh. us. From Ahmaud Arbery to Trayvon Martin, white Americans are still killing Native and Black Americans Trayvon with no Martin fear of reprisal. Yep. They brought chattel slavery to Africans and Native people. That still happens through the prison industrial complex that imprisons the descendants of enslaved Africans and Natives at far disparate numbers. Created by Democrats. That is the reality of Thanksgiving. Many of us are still waiting for white Americans to bring some value, still waiting for white America to match the mythology of Thanksgiving. Freedom, justice, equality, reparations for two and a half billion acres of stolen native land, mm. reparations for 246 years of stolen labor, reparations for stealing native children. Stop the killing. It's still happening. Stop the theft. It's still happening. Oh, Return the land. Me, Match the mythology. Then and only then we can all be equally thankful. Peace. Well, I don't know about you, Noah, but can you do me a favor? Can you pass me a slice of the smallpox pie, please? I need a cigarette and I don't even smoke cigarettes. Oh, oh my God. What the fuck is he talking about? It's mythology, bro. What you're saying is a fucking myth. You, you made everything up. It's all lies. It's disgusting. These people don't know anything about history, first like, of all. The real question is how many times did this guy go through his tirade in the mirror before going on the show. I, exactly. I was going to say, because, you know, coming from the acting role, how many times did he rehearse this shit? It was pretty, pretty, pretty. <laughs> oh, my God. It's bad. just so sad. You know, like if people really knew the truth, if they, it's there. It's not that hard. I mean, like, look at, for example, you know, Dinesh D'Souza is actually a really good source. He explains all of this very well and mm -hmm. in layman's terms for people to understand the true history of America there was no we did not genocide people one i'm i'm first generation albanian american my okay. my ancestors we have our own history and culture and genocide that we've been dealing with for hundreds maybe thousand plus years okay because i look white and i have a son and a daughter who are who look white but we're european how do, how do they owe any of these people reparations? How, right. like it's just disgusting. Please get the hell out of here. I, like my people, for example, like we've dealt with this type of stuff for years and years and years, generations. We don't give a shit. We've moved on. Like, hey, like we don't care. We want to move on and like do better things. And we're friends with the with the people who are actually you know, have their lineage of the people that were oppressive or that we fought in wars. Like it doesn't make sense. These people are just inventing garbage and bullshit. It just, this victim mentality just makes me sick. You well, know, even the people that actually buy into this narrative, you think it's going to stop them from making a Turkey or, you know, no, they're all a helping of stuffing. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's like the ones, all those hosts on, on those cable news networks that always claim racism are always like, it's like a black host. They're always married to a white guy. And uh, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> look at uh, what's her name. Look at Ilhan Omar. Yeah. Look at AOC. I mean, c come on, man, please. Yeah, Just they're both married to white people. Don Lemon's married to a white guy. Yeah, yes, exactly. And he's sitting there talking shit consistently about white dudes. And not too long before he really started on his tirade against white people and white guys. 
he sexually assaulted a dude in the Hamptons. Yeah. yeah. You think he like, ever goes home and like his significant other's like, you know, what you said about me really offended me today. Bitch, no, that was a little, little boy boy bitch with probably like the most white guilt ever. He's been psyoped by his own man. Ugh. Can't deal with these people. Sorry. True it's, story. Tell us how you really too, feel. There's so much. <laughs> Man, I got that Friday vibe today of how action-packed in America First, this Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast was. I guess it's just because we're hitting the holidays. We're going to be giving you guys a lot of presents moving forward in regards of uh, guests and guest hosts and impactful interviews that are hopefully going to be relevant to everything that's going on in our neck of the woods. And the only place to hear those are on every major downloadable podcasting platform. You can find Steak for Breakfast on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcasts, FM Player, and now iHeartRadio. Download the show, listen, like, follow, and please, can't express this enough, share our content. We're bringing this stuff to you guys, for you guys only. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review as well. Show creds of the week. Obviously, Mr. Cash Patel, amazing guest. Trisha Flanagan out of Congressional District House Seat 3 in New Jersey. Really good getting to know her. Yeah. Definitely going to circle back. That lady knows her stuff. I want to get a little deep diving on that healthcare stuff she's got going on next time she comes on and, and maybe talk about a little border security because, believe it or not, there's a huge illegal alien problem in New Jersey. No. Yeah, imagine that. Um, Wait, like just recently? Like. They're getting sent there or just in general? I remember it from when I was a child. Wow. Yeah. So we're working in all the restaurants and in the grocery stores behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that definitely needs to be addressed. Uh, show credits to them. And then, of course, our, our lovely co-host today, Miss Gabby Fox. It was great having her on again. We will be inviting her back and hopefully getting her on for a little bit longer. It's always good to sit down with her. She's got a really open mind to things. Uh, she does a lot of research, which is one of our points that we try to stress to you guys every week and uh kind of love it sponsors everybody loves our sponsors help make small american businesses great again odyssey headphones it's like listening to two angels speaking ears you agree noah i like it thank you <laughs> odyssey.com they're on facebook they're on instagram i've actually got my new odyssey headphones on right now and they look 80s-tastic that was so good yeah i love them it smells of rich mahogany they and they look like rich mahogany um, i think <laughs> i got a dresser made out of those headphones at my house <laughs> stay ready gear stay ready your holsters whether you want something to put your drink on something to dump all your junk in or some melty plastic that goes under your shirt and along your waist where you could stick a gun into with a picture of noah's dog on it yep stayreadygear.com facebook and instagram as well man rubs Last time to talk about Turkey Day, and if you aren't slathering it up with butter, drizzling it with some wine, and rubbing the man on it, oh, man rubs, throw it in the oven, golden brown, wait for the popper, slice it up, not like the turkey and Christmas vacation, but the delicious ones that I make, bring some leftovers for Noah the next day, Factual. num, 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 num. manrubs.com. Facebook and Instagram. West Coast Survival Arms. Everybody likes guns. Everybody needs ammo. All the other stuff that goes along with it, cleaning kits, cases, etc. Go buy them from Mike. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone at 619-870-6992.
Mediocre Medic, all of our first responders, we wish you nothing but the most safest of times this weekend. We know there's going to be a lot of stuff you guys are responding to, as is the case with the holidays. Hopefully when you're off duty, you're wearing some Mediocre Medic gear, and when you're on duty, you got some patches and stickers on your bags and on the outside of your wagons. Uh, MediocreMedic.com, our first responders love their Instagram. And Mark, Joe, Friday, home of the Zero Fucks Duck, Dumpbox.us. They're on Facebook, they're on Instagram, their tactical gear done right. Upcoming shows. Just when you thought we couldn't top the last couple weeks, we're going to go top year. Following Thanksgiving and on this Friday, we're going to have Dressy Strawham. Very inspirational story. You should follow her on Instagram and check it out before she comes on our show. Our border correspondent, Jorge Ventura, will finally be coming back on. We had to do another reschedule today. This time our fault because we got Cash Patel last minute. But Jorge is going to be hanging out with us. Hopefully suit top, boxers bottom. Talking about his documentary and all the great things he's doing right now over at the uh, Daily Caller. And Ian Smith, owner of Attilus Gym, he'll be circling back for his third time with us. And nice. it's going to be a great one. We're going to have an interview on him. We're going to get an update on what's going on with his legal cases. How's everything going at the Attilus Gym in Belmar, New Jersey? And we're going to hear what he's doing. He's kind of injecting himself into politics a little bit more. No pun intended. Um, next Tuesday, Chris Paul. Our moderator, High Noon, he'll be joining us a little bit earlier to do steak for breakfast. And then Zuby has confirmed he'll be joining us for an interview. We're going to talk about, you know, his insertion into politics and how it kind of goes against the narrative of having rappers from the UK inject themselves in the uh, United States politics. It's a little interesting, but I, I kind of like it. And we're going to we're going to pick his brain and, and get what he's going on. Uh, next Friday, we're going to have Josh Barnett, who's running in Arizona Six. For the House of Representatives, in addition to Clay Clark. The following week on Tuesday, 12-7, we're going to have Jessica Harlow. And now, who just announced his senatorial run this week, coming out of San Diego, Dr. Cordy Williams. Mm. On the 14th of December, we'll have Joe Kent coming back. Really excited for that. Thanks for that retweet today, sir. And we're coming up on our 100th episode soon, ladies and gents. Already got two confirmations. Miss Geisha Montez and Miss Norbin Laden. Have confirmed. Nice. They'll be here for episode 100. We're going to see how many guests we could pack into that bitch as possible between now and then. Let's get some live ones in the studio. It's going to be a good time, and and it's coming up faster than you think. Episode 100 barbecue Mm. at my house. I'm down. But you know what else I'm down for? Tell you the things you need to do in between now and Friday over the Thanksgiving holiday. Do your own research. Hold the line. Ride it. Buy the dip. Get the fuck in here, snatch the wigs, ice your balls. Let's see what happens. But most importantly, where we go one, we go all. This has been episode 84 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And we'll be back on Friday with Jessica Strawham, Jorge Ventura, and Ian Smith. Everybody have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Thanks for listening and take care. to look at the facts of what happened. Do you, do you feel the threats? 
I, I do. I, I see some of the threats, some of the things people say. It's absolutely sickening. Has, do, are you confident that the government will protect you from these threats? Because that's, of course, the government's job. I hope so, but we all know how the FBI works. Yeah.